Voices are exotic dancers enter one by one Make love to all of your orifices in your seduction Hello and welcome to Ear Seduction. I'm your host, Paul Schilling. This is the third and final interview with my fundamentalist Christian, Nathan Spears. Now, I'm not going to spend a ton of time in the introduction here giving you sort of what to look for or whatever. You've probably got some idea of what to expect at this point, but it's interesting how the conversation sort of morphs and changes. And I'm going to go over it in more detail. Now, I have decided uh, in season three that I'm going to do a complete and total breakdown of this entire three-part series. Now, I did do a summary in episode four of this season, but I'm going to do a much more in-depth look at the way that Nathan thinks and why he says the things he says and so on. The thing to keep in mind for this episode is that there are some problems. So one of the things that you'll notice in this recording is that the sound quality, unfortunately, from the other two interviews is, is worse. And I have gone through great pains to try and make it as good as possible. But there's a few different things that you should know. So first of all, there was a fair amount of clipping going on. And I tried to correct for that, but if you know anything about audio quality, it never gets fully corrected. So there are still some parts that are going to be a little hard on your ears. And I, I very much apologize for that, but I have tried to soften them as much as possible. And I think it's turned, it, it, it worked. So this is a very listenable podcast, but it's not going to be as high quality as what you're used to um, in other shows. And then probably not as high a quality as what you will become used to in this show um, as I progress as a podcaster. Now, the second thing is Muggsy, my English bulldog, did uh, participate to some degree. And so you can hear him in the background a little bit. Uh, he has sort of like his little crying Wookiee talk that he does. And so he does that. I tried to cut it out as much as possible, but wasn't able to. So I don't want to take too much time here. I'm going to do, as I said, a full deconstruction at some point in season three. And I'm obviously I'm going to give you a final thought at the end of the show. So please, let's listen in now to my final discussion with the fundamentalist Christian, Nathan Spears. Well, we were going to talk today about worldviews. Yeah. Right? I was going to give you sort of the reins because of just some of the feedback I got from you regarding the last show or the, the last recording and stuff like that. So I want to be really respectful of your time. I want to make sure we get to the topic. I want to make sure you get to say what you want to say. Um, I do have some questions about your worldview, just, mm. just some basic things that I wanted to sort of get an understanding of kind of what you believe and what you don't believe. Okay. Um, and so, and, and some of these are whenever I meet a Christian that is as open about their Christianity as you are, I like to sort of ask these questions to find out like how much of the doctrine is, are you actually taking on board? Mm. And then how much of it are you not? I've never met somebody that is a literalist that takes the whole book on start to finish. Mm. Um, I don't think, <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't, maybe well, they, it's hard to, right? Because uh, like, yeah, take, take a verse like, um, it is. Yeah. Take a verse like I, uh, I formed you in your mother's womb. It's a lot easier to believe that in a literal way before the invention of a sonogram or of a, an intrauterine camera, right? Yeah. So it's it's interesting to me that Christians can 
understand how to believe that verse in terms of believing that God is in charge of everything and ordering everything and making all things possible. But then they go read the book of Genesis and now this has to be, well, if you don't believe this literally, then. Yeah. So that's that's interesting to me. And I think once you see that crack in the door, it's it's hard not to kind of peek into that room. Yeah. Or kick it wide open and yeah. What well, the hell's going on in here? Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I'd love to answer those, but I think but I, if we have our conversation, yeah, if we have a if we have the conversation about world view first, maybe it'll be a little yeah, bit clearer yeah. why, uh, well, maybe maybe my idea of what a worldview is will be a little bit clearer and that will help you frame your questions. Uh, like if, yeah. if you get, if you ask a question in such a way that I need to cover something that we were going to talk about anyway, right? Maybe it will be helpful to have that part of the conversation it, first. And these are uh, not necessary. I mean, they're fun. Uh, they're definitely stuff I like to know okay. uh, about people I'm talking to, but uh, definitely, like I said, I wanted you to have the reins. So okay. I suspect you have a lot of questions for me mm. about my worldview okay. um, because the example I gave you of using my worldview in our last recording uh, you invalidated. You said that's not a worldview. Mm. And so I suspect that you have a lot of, like I said, questions about what it is that it, my worldview is and how it's used, how mm. I use it. Okay. Um, you didn't like my answer to sort of how I would utilize my worldview to meet your definition. Mm. Um, and so I wanted to, to explore that territory a little further. Cool. Um, and I, th I, I guess I assumed you, you did too, but I, I wanted to sort of give you the floor for a, a little bit and see uh, what you wanted to get into specifically as, as, as we discuss a worldview. So initially, it sounds to me, at least, uh, like you'd like to set up and sort of set the stage for what a worldview is and give us... I mean, you gave us a definition in the last episode, so or in the last recording. So mm -hmm. I was very comfortable with that with that definition. But how would you how would you like to set the stage for today and, well, and to expand on that? I would like to talk about I think I could I could separate this into four loose steps. One, I would say I don't think that there is a scientific worldview. Two, I don't think that even if there was a scientific worldview that um, anyone could have that scientific worldview, any one person that is. Third, that even if you could have a scientific worldview, it's not clear to me that you would want to. And four, how um, I don't think that you personally have a scientific worldview just based on our interactions so far. So okay. I could go into each of those, um, those steps. And the first thing that I thought might be interesting... <laughs> to talk about before we go there, just sure. to set some of the stage. Yeah. Um, Could you just repeat what your definition of worldview is? Sure. Just real quick. And I'm using uh, John Verveke's definition here because I find it really insightful. The, the definition is, a worldview is two things simultaneously. One, a model of the world, and two, a model for acting in that world. It turns the individual into an agent who acts, and it turns the world into arena, an arena, in which those actions make sense. Okay. I want to start by saying two things. One, there's this is not exactly a scientific definition, right? Because these are ways of understanding human behavior. We couldn't design a a scientific test to verify or validate whether someone has a particular worldview or not. We could ask them questions. 
right? But when when you have a phrase as big as a model of the world, that encompasses a lot of different things. So, which part of that isn't scientific, though? Like, it, clearly, uh, like the shape of the world is scientific, right? Keep and, going. What do you mean by that? Well, like what shape the world is is a scientific question. Mm, okay. So, if we're going to model, let's let's take it at its most literal. An agent's understanding of the world or a model of the world. If we're literally going to make a model of the world, is that not a scientific endeavor? So the, the the literal interpretation of the of that sentence is scientific. Mm. Is, do you agree with that? Well, what he's talking about when he talks about worldview is what enables people to act, what enables people to live, well, what enables people to be before, in the world. But before we interpret what he's saying, let's just look at what he's saying as a literal statement. Okay. So he's saying a model of the world. Would you agree that this would encompass if you if you take it at its most literal, it's the literal world, the Earth. Um, um, and how it's situated in our solar system and galaxy universe, so mm. on. Do you do you recognize that as scientific? I recognize that scientific models can certainly fit into a worldview, but I think as as I'll try to demonstrate that when I say that there, I don't believe that there is a scientific worldview. You always have to have more than scientific models to interact with the world. Okay, well, granted that, but if you're gonna, if you're going to model the world, uh, so let's let's now take a more holistic look at what that means. Okay, uh, not literally the world, um, but just 3D space and time. Okay, so our environment, the world, the universe, wh whatever it can get as big as you want this idea, or it can get as small as you want. It right. could be just inside of your room mm. or the inside of your head or whatever people's the way they behave. Um, these are all things that can be modeled scientifically. Well, I think that's obviously at the root of our disagreement. You don't think we've that been disagreeing about that from the beginning can be modeled scientifically, or you don't think that they're best modeled scientifically? I'm, I'm saying I think that there are things which are best modeled scientifically, and that's one of the things that, let's say, a fundamentalist interpretation of religion has failed to acknowledge. So. They still want to, well, I don't know exactly what their method is because they go to the hospital, but they want to say that there are things which science does have things to say about, mm -hmm. like the age of the earth and so forth, sure. that we can dispute on faith-based grounds. So I think that's a mistake, but I think that... You well, think it's a dispute, uh, mistake to dispute them on faith-based grounds? Yes. Okay, okay. Yes. Just want to make sure I understand. Okay. Um, but I do think that there are... It's, it's not that I think this. It's that um, other people have noticed this, and I'm just coming behind them, which is that... There, we do not have scientific models for explaining or predicting or understanding all of the things which are happening in the world. Well, okay, this is a mistake I hear a lot of people in your position make, and that's that we don't have a way to explain everything, therefore science is not a valid way to explain or give us a worldview. Why is that disqualifying? It doesn't matter that we can't explain everything. Science and a scientific worldview takes that on board and understands that there is a limitation currently. Mm. And the, you know, the frontiers of science are pushing against those limitations every day. But as somebody who has a scientific worldview, I accept that. And I accept that that's its limitation. The reason I reject a religious worldview is because it can't explain anything. Mm. I mean, the, as far as I can tell, there is no explanatory power in any of the texts or in any of the the uh, theocracy mm. that is, you know, derived from the texts. So I'm curious, just at, at a basic level, if we're trying to model the world in which we live in, you're saying science doesn't do it at all? 
No. Okay, well, let me just... Okay, no. Science does some of it. Mm, Yes. Okay, so science is capable of giving us the first part of Rebecca's definition. Not in its entirety, not in the entirety of the world, but wouldn't you agree neither does religion in its entirety? I mean, it's not... It doesn't explain everything. Uh, Yes, yes, yes. I see what you're saying. Okay. Yes. So, it does get... You can have a model of the world based on science. Okay. Correct? Or incorrect. I don't know why you just said yes and now you're not saying yes. Because we haven't gotten to the place where I'm going to can we can we come back to the question after I, I lead us through our, our steps and see if we've if we've gotten to what what you're saying? Because what you're saying is directly what I want to address. Right. Then why why is it so hard? Why do we have to come back to it? Why can't we just get there? Okay. Um if that's what you want if, to address, then let's if, hit it right if, now. If the well, I laid out the outline for you, I was gonna run through it, but if you want to do it in terms of your questions, that's fine. No, no, I, I understand what you're saying you you can you can get it any way you want to i i just i i don't know why it's so hard for you to just say science does offer us uh, a model of the world it's not entirely complete uh it I am have no problem saying religion and theocracy offers a model for the world, and it is in no sense complete. Mm. I give you that. I don't think it's a valid model. I can tell you why, but it does offer a model. Uh, science also offers a model. Uh, so it meets, as does religion and a religious worldview, the first mm. part, or the first whatever it is, line but, of Rebecca's okay. definition. Is so, that, so tell me what, it is, what the model of the world that science offers is. It, it, it gives us the ability to understand, measure, document, uh, predict, uh, and and sort of I, I don't know what it's called when you when you're able to understand history like you're not actually it's not predict because predict would be future events but to sort of uh, I, I, like I said I don't know what the word is but when you're understanding history as well you, it's not like we can you know go back and ask Caesar what he did or, or really get a lot of evidence for it but we have a, a an evidential way to understand history especially written history. So the scientific method and science in general allows us to understand where we are in the world, uh, how we interact with things around us, that the things around us are real, uh, how they'll uh, respond to our interactions, and so on. So it gives us a place that sets us in the world in 3D space and time. And it does so in a very reliable way. I'm going to try to point out that you haven't answered my question. I asked you what the model of the world that science gives us is, and you told me about things that science can do. So I'm asking you, what is the model of the world that science gives us? Okay, so the mo- okay, so the model of the world that science gives us is uh, methodological naturalism. It's okay. that things exist in space and time. Uh, we perceive them in three dimensions, and they're made up of matter, which is translated or can be translated into energy. The mathematics is is the language, right, that science uses to explain all these things. That is the place. Uh, that is a place where I am not as proficient as I'd like to be to be able to describe the mathematics to you. But for instance. Knowing that I'm an entity made up of matter uh, in a group or in, you know, surrounded by other entities made up of matter, it positions me in the world, in space time. Okay. In such a way that it allows me to not only recognize the things around me, but predict what they are going to do and, and how I can best interact with them. So you've told me some facts from different branches of science. You're weaving sure. them together to tell a story. Sure. Yeah. But I'm asking you, what is the model? The model. So, if you had a, if you a, had a model, why would you need to select from different branches of science? Why not just pick the central branch of science which describes the world? Well, because 
the scientific method is the thing that brings all of these branches together. Okay. Right? It's the method that gives us this understanding. But these are very different topics. Biology is different than cosmology is different than particle physics. That's right? right. That's right. But in order to understand and have a worldview, something that comprises all that we experience, we have to draw from those different branches. And so I have to take from different places. Yes. And bring them into one place my yeah my worldview okay mm -hmm. methodological but, naturalism that's the worldview okay that's so the, that's the name you're looking for well methodological naturalism is a method of inquiry Mm -hmm. But a worldview is a model of the world. So this is this is precisely my point: is that you're saying that a method of inquiry is a worldview, and that's it's, that's where I think th those things are not the same thing. A okay. method of inquiry can be used in a worldview. So ask a more specific question, then, because if you're not getting, I mean, you're you're saying so. What is your scientific worldview? And I'm telling you, and you don't like the answer. So what's wrong with my answer? Well, I'm, I'm trying to say that. A method of inquiry is not a worldview. It's well, a method of inquiry. Then ask me a specific question that, that you think will solicit the answer that you're looking for. What? Well, I don't think that there is an answer. So so picture this, right? Like, um, Well, ask your question. When, I'll tell you if there's an answer. <laughs> but go ahead. The question is, what is the model of the world in this scientific worldview? Okay. You're drawing from many different models of the world. Okay. You're drawing from a biological model, so, an astrophysical model. Sure. Uh it's not a specific enough question. That's the problem. So what do you have a more specific? Well, the question lays itself out from the idea of what a worldview is. A model of the world. You're talking about many models of the world. So okay, here's, what, here's what I picture. Tell me why this is wrong, okay? Oh, go ahead. What I picture is mm -hmm. when you're doing science, you enter into... Uh, I saw this the other day and I really liked it. This guy lays out each um, particular, I would say branch, but even within the sub-branches of mm -hmm. science, right? So there's many branches of biology, psychiatry, or psychology, right? Many mm -hmm. different um, many different branches and ways of study. Mm -hmm. Each branch can be roughly understood as having three elements, an ontology, an epistemology, and a methodology. Mm, yeah. So when I go to do, uh, let's say, molecular biology, I have an ontology. I have a set of things that I consider to be real as I practice my science. Sure. I, I'm not concerned with um, with supernovas at that time that I'm doing molecular biology, right? Unless you're doing the molecular potential molecular biology of a supernova, but yeah, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> because supernovas create the molecules that then turn into biology in That's planets. True. That's true. So there is a there is a way to get there. We could connect those things. You may. But we don't we don't need to for the purposes of doing molecular biology, right? My methodology mm, is not, not concerned with supernovas. Probably. I mean, maybe there is a branch, but let's mm. posit that there are many branches. If which, you're trying which to are figure not. out where they came from, yeah, okay. But let, yeah, okay. But this is why I'm saying you need to be specific. See how, problem, how problematic being unspecific can be? I mean, immediately we run into... But go ahead. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> so so I enter into that, um, that set of models, and those models are all I'm concerned with while I'm doing that science. Okay. When I want to talk about supernovas, then I can enter into astrophysics and adopt that set of ontology, epistemology, methodology. Okay. When I want to enter into anthropology um, or... Um, I get your point. So when I come back to being me, to forming my worldview, mm -hmm. right? Like I, 
I sort of, I'm, I have a mental picture here and maybe it's quaint, but it's like when I go to do the science, I can block everything else out of my mind for the purposes of doing the science. And then as I become a person again, and I have to go grocery shopping and, and to the gym and so forth, I'm concerned with many other things other than molecular biology. It's in that place, the place of being me, where I'm going to form my worldview, where I, I see myself as an agent that acts in the world mm-hmm. and I need my actions to make sense. And it's it's in this place where I believe you're describing, I'm going to, as necessary, I will pull from biology, from uh, the uh, history of the solar system, whatever, right? That's where I'm pulling scientific facts from sure. to form my worldview. Okay. But the world that I'm in now as me is not any of those specifically. So there's something that brings elements of all those together, and that's where I form my worldview. I'm using the word that as if it's a place, but do you, would you accept the kind of language I'm using? Do you understand the point I'm getting at? Kind of. It sounds to me like you're saying uh, when when it sounds to me like you're trying to use a very blunt tool to do surgical procedures. It, it, you want it to be easier than it is. It, you want it to be. So, what's your scientific worldview? And then I have a one-word answer. And I, I, because of the nature of our, our, our world and our experience, to me, there's just so many orders of magnitude difference between the, the levels of my worldview. My, my worldview goes from a microscopic level all the way to a cosmological level. I mean, there's, there's so much detail and, and grandiosity in it all that it, it doesn't have the kind of one-word answer that I, it seems like or it feels like you're looking for. The other thing I would say about what you're, what you're describing is, is it sounds like you're separating my experience, your experience of the world or the human experience of the world from that which is in the world, the 3D world that we inhabit. And somehow this experience is the quote-unquote worldview. And that is not something that's translatable or uh, affected by maybe or uh, I'm not totally sure exactly how to word it, but doesn't necessarily interact with the 3D, three-dimensional world that we live in or the three-dimensional experience uh, out, outside of our experience, mm. the three dimensions outside of our experience. Now, I'm not sure if that's what you're trying to say or if you're making that distinction that it's somehow in your head, that there is a worldview that exists in your head that's different than one that draws upon reality uh, outside of our head. Is that is that what you're doing? I'm not sure exactly what you're asking there. Can you say okay. that? either say it again or say it a little differently? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you're creating a, a separation between what I'm trying to tell you and what you're saying a worldview is. Mm. But I haven't heard what a worldview is in that separation that's different from what I'm trying to tell you. So, for instance, if you say, what is your worldview? And I say, it's not specific enough. Let me let me give you an example of maybe the idea of what I, what I mean by that. So, what is a worldview, literally, is what shape is the planet Earth? Where is it located in the solar system? Where is that solar system located in the Milky Way galaxy? Where is that Milky Way galaxy located in our local group, right? And sure. so on and so on. You can get bigger and bigger and bigger, sure. right? Or you could get much, much smaller. You could say your worldview, what is it like to be you in the day, from day to day, mm. right? What is your personal experience? So. Okay. 
Am I depressed, for instance? Do I have sort of a sullen worldview? Is that something that persists or is it temporary, right? Is it a chemical imbalance in my head or did I suffer some sort of trauma? Um, so on and so on, right? So it's not specific enough to me because it doesn't ask anything specific of my worldview. The worldview that I've comprised in my head is that which has been informed by my understanding uh, of the world, of myself in the world, and lar- you know, 95% of that has been informed by science, philosophy, methodological naturalism, so on and so on. So the only way I know anything about the outside world is through what I've come to understand through the scientific method. Mm. And through... I want to zoom in on that question pretty things, hard. But yeah, go ahead. Let's, go ahead. let's uh, we'll finish up. No, that's it. That's okay, it. I okay. just wanted to give you an example so, of what I mean is like, if you're saying what's your worldview and you're not specifying where that, what scale we're on, yeah, yeah, yeah. then I don't know what you're asking me. I mean, right. there isn't... So I think that's where I, I would just disagree that those things, whether the Earth is the third planet from the sun in the solar system... Um, and, you know, we're located in uh, the Milky Way or wherever. None of that matters to how your agent, how your actions as an agent make sense in the world. Like, you don't need to know those facts. And in fact, many people didn't know those facts for hundreds of thousands of years and sure. yet still were able to operate in the world in a way that made sense. Sure. No, I I so, use that as an example because our scale is thank you, thanks to the scientific method. Now our scale is so much bigger. So again, you're, you, it sounds to me like you're trying to use a very blunt, archaic tool to do what we need now. You know, razor sharp surgery tools to surgical tools to accomplish. So okay, granted, back in ancient history, we didn't know anything about the universe outside of let's say our immediate local position on the planet. So now we're taking. Taking your worldview, you're saying it exists in that small space. Is that what you're saying? I'm saying that you are fundamentally in exactly the same position as all those people who are completely ignorant of the nature of the universe, the, the solar system, the galaxy. You're still located on the same planet, breathing the same air, and you have to take the same kinds of actions to order your life. You. So I just don't need to think about space or the planet or any of that is what you're saying. I just don't need to. What, it doesn't. It's not involved in what we're talking about. You're talking about something else. Good. That brings us down. At least I understand now where we're at, the scale. See, science and the scientific method and methodological naturalism has opened my mind to such a degree, and I am aware now of so much more than what you're suggesting, that we had to get rid of those those layers of complexity in order for me to, to understand where we're going with this. Okay. So now I understand we're not talking about uh, a space-time in that sense. We are talking very specifically, if I'm right now, about one individual person and the things that happen 20 feet away from their face, essentially. I mean, you're, you're bringing like it that, down yeah. into a <laughs> bubble like that. Well, okay. Well, so, so if I say, what's your worldview? And you think that I'm asking you, what are some scientific facts that you know about the universe? I think that, first of all, I would say, I think that illustrates the degree to which we have become used to thinking about knowledge as something which is completely disconnected from our own experience in the world. Knowledge is something to be gained by people doing scientific tests in, I, I just you know, needed to know the scale. Sure. I can give you just well, as cogent of an answer about t- my 20-foot bubble as I can about cosmology, at least to some degree. Okay. Go ahead. So, well, Go ahead. I mean, the it's it's not that I'm defining the scale. 
it's that our nature of being in the world defines its own scale, right? Who I am and how I relate to the world that I live in and how my actions make sense, that defines its own scope. Does that make sense? Yes, but but the distinction that you've made now is that my scope was much, much, much larger than the one you're trying to work in. You're working in a much smaller scope. Maybe you could justify why you think that... I mean, it's probably just a, a rabbit trail, but... Why do you think that your view of what the solar system is matters to the definition of the worldview that we were talking about? Like, how do your actions make sense on the scale of the Milky Way? Because understanding my position and my place, the significance of what I am and who I am, when you take it into account, the grandiose scale of what is and what can be mm. and what is very probable, that to me, it was was worldview altering. I see. It opened up my, my mind to, to a philosophy that I didn't even know existed. Mm. Okay. Do you want to say more about that? Only if you want me to. I don't want to take time away from... I understand why you were a little upset with the last recording. I want to make sure we get to what you're talking about. Like I said, you've got the reins. If you, if you want me to elaborate, I, I will definitely do that. But I want to. I just want to understand, what and I think I about. do. Yeah, okay. that we are not talking about space time. We are not talking about cosmology. We're not talking about advancements in science in the last twenty years. We were talking about an ancient, archaic, twenty-foot bubble of understanding. Mm, okay, good. Maybe you don't like some of the words I use no, to describe fine. that, but that is the scale we're on. Okay. You're, you're talking about what I do when I'm at King Supers. That's my worldview. That's certainly. That's certainly. I would say a worldview that doesn't take into account. What what you do at King Supers and other actions of that ilk is effectively screening out most of your life. No, and I, I understand where you're going with okay, that. Good. I, I agree that that uh, the 20 foot bubble around me is as important as the universal okay, good bubble. Good. So let's let's jump into why I don't think that there's such a thing as a scientific worldview. And well, I think we've covered we've covered that. Well, like, hold on. Let's let's talk about the 20 foot bubble though. Look, where's okay. your worldview there? What what are we talking about here? Well. So your interactions like with the people at King Supers and your decision on which kind of apple to get, what are we talking about? Let's use that. That's fun. Well, I think the short answer is to say everything. I'm talking about everything. No, you're talking about 20 feet. Everything which comprises your life. Every action that you take, that you that you choose to make, okay. must take place in your world. Okay, sure. And your actions, this is another element of the worldview, which is a little bit confusing, is that because we have learned to separate ourselves from our experience in order to really get at the truth, um, we, because we have learned to separate ourselves from our experience so thoroughly in order to sort of look at ourselves as three-dimensional or or as avatars moving through this external three-dimensional world, we have learned to see many of the actions in our own lives as being sort of menial or kind of a substrate layer for sustaining our existence, right? I go to the grocery store to buy food because I need to eat food to metabolize, to stay alive. Sure, sure. Um, Very important. Well, I mean, that that way of looking at it is is an easy way to look at it if I view myself as this sort of food processing machine. So those kinds of details are viewed as being somewhat inconsequential to... I don't like this whole direction I'm going at this moment. Let me see if I can pause and... and yeah, just pump the brakes, change direction. Yeah. If you if you don't mind, maybe I could fill in some space here and just say the the 20-foot bubble that I experience and the decisions I make therein are almost completely informed by 
3D space and time and the objects therein around me, right? Okay. So when I'm making decisions about what I'm going to do and how I'm going to behave and who I'm going to talk to or what kind of apples I'm going to buy, these are all evidential decisions based on either previous experience. So I may not scowl at the lady that checks out my food at King Supers because the last time I did that, it set her off into a negative, uh, you know, sort of spiral after that. I noticed that she was negative after after that. She was negative with the person that I watched start initiate the checkout process with while I was doing my bagging. And uh, instead of making her frown, I decided to make her happy because that I saw how I was able to to ruin her day last time, right? These are all... It was like a little scientific experiment the first time. Last time I, I scowled and then she didn't have a good day for a little while. And this time I smiled and she did. Okay. I love this example. And I think it, it brings up something that we danced around quite a bit in our previous conversations. And I didn't know how to... Do you reject that as a scientific worldview? I reject that as science. Okay. Go ahead though. You, you're saying... Go ahead. What you did with that woman was not a scientific experiment. And Why it not? wasn't like a scientific experiment. Why not? Because there were no controls. What are you talking about science is done uh, uh dirty often um and and to the best of our ability it's it's not always like i'm gonna have 10 tellers that i can check with and and see i mean it's 10 different experiments that i have to conduct with 10 different people but the fact that you can't do science correctly doesn't exempt you from scientific evidentiary standards well it's evidential because the person that i talked to clearly was rude what do you mean by clearly mean after i scowled at her that was just your interpretation of their behavior. She frowned at me and then she snapped at the lady next to me. Maybe she did neither of those things and you misinterpreted what you saw. Well, potentially, yeah. This but, is the point of science is to rule I out smile, misinterpretation of your own sense data. When I smile at somebody and they are uplifted, their body language indicates that they are and they smile back and they laugh maybe. That's a pretty clear indication that they have, they're having a good time, that they appreciate it or that they are now in a positive place. I absolutely agree with you, but none of that stuff you're talking about is science. That's I, not how we do scientific experiments. I disagree. I don't think you understand what science is on this level. I mean, it's not the kind of science that cosmologists do. It's, it's not, not science. Of course it is. Of course it is. It's, it's the science of human behavior. You can reliably and you can test treating people like shit versus treating them nicely and find out how it how they respond. That's true, but that's not science. Well, you There's... keep saying that, but you have nothing to... But what are you backing that up with? Well, I'm talking about experiments. I'm talking about controls when you do it, when you don't do it, when you're indifferent. I mean, these are not all happening at the same visit to King Supers. It's happening throughout my whole life. And this is what I meant that by the fact that we've been dancing around this for a few hours, is oh, that okay. you keep saying that things which you interpret with your senses are valid as scientific data. Well, they are. It's true that you're doing experiments, but they're not scientific experiments. Of course they are. How do you think science is done? It's all done, it's all, it's all done with your senses. Mm -hmm. The only part that's not scientific about the, the example that I'm giving is that I don't have the opportunity to peer review. See, this is what I think happens when people think that they have a scientific worldview. It makes them think that what they're doing is science because they understand what experiments are and how, and how science works in general. But the entire point of science is to separate what people think is obvious in their sense data from what is actually true. Sure, it's to find what's actually true. 
And it's not obvious to us through our sense data, right, that the sun is a giant ball of fire, you know, that we are orbiting around. Our sense data tells us that it's a tiny little hot disk in the sky that's spinning around the Earth. Maybe, yeah. So the entire history of science has been full of surprising results to our intuition sure. and our normal interpretation of sense data. But are you saying then that being mean to people and being nice to people, like this is really more complicated than I'm, than, than I'm able to perceive? I'm saying it has nothing to do with science. Like what you're talking about is not a scientific experiment. Okay. This is not the science of human behavior. This is not the science of understanding how you treat people and how it makes them feel. That's not valid. That's not a valid no, it may be a methodology valid... for That's right. determining That's right. people. That's right. It's not a valid methodology. Why isn't it for valid? For doing science. It's Why perfectly isn't it valid. It's perfectly valid for living your life. Why isn't it valid? Because it doesn't meet scientific evidentiary standards. How does it not do that? Well, if what you were saying was true, you could write an essay about your experience and send it to a journal of I just said it doesn't behavior. have the it doesn't have the benefit of peer review, but there's plenty of peer reviewed science that talks about treating people terribly and getting a reliable reliably bad uh, product out of that mm-hmm. and treating people well and getting a reliably good product right. out of that. And so I, I don't that, that need, research was done scientifically. Yeah, of course. But I don't need to have the scientific research. I don't have to have a little laboratory in my 20-foot bubble in order to recognize the psychological benefits of treating people nicely and treating people poorly. The, the, I, I, that's the thing correct. is, is we, we do that. This is, this is the difference between science that we did after the fact to confirm what we already pretty much knew because this is just how we live our lives and we had all these experiments over the course of millennia and we evolved to, to re- interact and react this way and science that we had no fucking idea was going to, you know, we didn't know that the universe was, you know, 97 billion light years across or whatever. We didn't know that, but we do now. I mean, this is the difference between those two types of science. There's some science that we do in retrospect just to confirm what we already think is probably true. And then there's other science that we do that opens up a whole uh, you know, frontier of information we had no idea existed. Why, why is it not valid? It was validated through scientific inquiry and we confirmed when you smile and you're nice to people, it makes them feel good. When you shit on them and treat them like shit, it makes them feel bad. You reject that? Do I reject what? What I just said. I reject pieces of it. I'm not, are you asking me, do I reject the conclusion about smiling and frowning? I mean, there's nothing to reject. We haven't, we're not talking about a scientific paper with a hypothesis, right? You're just asking me if in general, I think that smiling at people is better than scowling at them. I would say probably. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. Well, in psycho- psychology and the science of human understanding and behavior, ferrets that out. Okay. I don't, I'm not doing it through scientific experiments. The way scientists do it because I'm not a scientist and I don't have that in my, I don't have that ability. That's right. And so you're not doing science. So what? It's still a scientific worldview. Okay. You you just changed your position though. No, no, no. I'm not. If, if science had ferreted out that treating people like shit was actually better for them and better for society, then it would be very counterintuitive, but I would do that. And you would still say I'm not using science. Well, uh, no, 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 no. I would say you're not doing science. I haven't said you're not using science. Well, okay. I said you're not, I'm not doing, doing science. science, granted, but I'm using science as my worldview. Mm. I know through the method that that is the best way to behave. I see. And that's why I behave that way. Okay. Now, I don't always succeed. I get pissy, right? Okay. I'm sorry that I get pissy. So... But anyway, go ahead. You were... So, here's... Um, 
all of my 20-foot bubble is informed by what I know about 3D time and space and the interactions with those creatures okay. or objects. Okay. And all of my understanding of those creatures and objects is either done through experience, which science is done through experience, or immediately informed by the scientific method. So I change the way I behave because of what the science says. Okay, good, good. But go ahead. Good. So what I want to ask is, how do you know which facts to select to bring into your personal life to include in your 20-foot bubble? Uh, the ones that have been peer-reviewed and shown to be true. Okay. The ones that there, other people are able to there are reproduce, of those, right? reproduce and va- validate, justify. But there are millions of those kinds of facts, right? Um, yeah. So how do you know which ones of those to choose and bring into your personal 20-foot bubble? You mean there are millions of facts that are peer-reviewed and verified to be true? Mm-hmm. Well, then I, cho- I pick all of them. You know all the millions of scientific facts? Well, no. Okay. I, but I pick the one... What do you... Come on, dude. Don't be so daft. This isn't that hard. You're saying... Do do I choose the facts? How do I know? No, how do you what choose? To, yeah, how do I know right. what to include in my worldview? That's right. Um, the stuff that's been peer reviewed. Do I know every possible fact? No, of course not. How do you know that the ones that you don't know aren't the most important ones? I don't. So you assume that the ones that you've imported into your worldview are the ones that you need to to have a correct worldview. Um, I, I no, not in a negative way like you're framing it. No, I mean I don't assume that that's all I need. I assume I need those and then I assume I probably need more because I see uh, I see things that I could be doing better. I see situations that I could have a better outcome. Um, I, I make mistakes and I you know, I recognize that I don't have all of the pertinent information but that keeps me looking for more information. So if we're talking about what I'm going to buy at King Supers, I look to nutritional documents and journals to find out what's what do I need in my diet? What's more important? Okay, so before we go we're, we're at the second point uh, that I wanted to make, which is that I don't think it would be possible to have a scientific worldview that any one person could have a scientific worldview. But I want to. I think we're. I don't think we're gonna. We're gonna come to why synchronize. Is that possible. I don't think we're why, gonna come to synchronize. Why is your worldview possible and mine's not? Well, why? Why do we why need to talk about my worldview? My worldview. Why can't we just stick on the scientific worldview points that I'm making here? We can come to my worldview and you can hammer on it as much as you want. I don't want to hammer on it. I just want to understand why is yours possible and mine is not. Why can't we finish talking about yours? It seems like you want to get off the criticism. No, no, no. Let's okay. criticize. Good. I have no problem Good. with that. But one of your criticisms is mine is not possible. I think I'm very deliberately and eloquently describing to you my possible worldview. Why do you reject it outright? You, do you not? No, do, does I'm, everything I say not get in there at all into your into your brain as possible? Is it impossible for me to, to be living this way, the way I'm describing? No. What I'm saying is that what you're describing is not a scientific worldview. So the first thing that you're describing is that you're choosing a subset of scientific facts to inform your worldview. Sure. In order for it to be a scientific worldview, the process by which you choose that subset of facts would also need to be scientific. If you're just doing it randomly, then who knows what well, who kind of... Who said I'm doing it randomly? I'm not doing it randomly. Okay. How are you doing it? I do it based on the facts that are the most usable and prevalent and the most well-known. Mm. So... For instance, um, would you would you agree that the question "Where did we come from?" is a worldview type question? Like, where do we come from? Why are we here? That could be part of a model of the world. Okay, for sure. But it's kind of a worldview like question, right? Like, if you have a worldview, it's going to probably answer that question: Where do we come from? Why yes. are we here? Yes. Okay. So when I answer the question of where do we come from, why are we here? Science has discovered, and the scientific method people 
have discovered through the scientific method, the theory of evolution, the theory of abiogenesis, uh, the theory of uh, planetary, remember what it's called, accretion, right? These are all things that happen in the 3D world, not all in my 20-foot bubble, but in the 3D world around us. And that answers that question. It's in the sense of the theory of evolution, it's the thing we know the most about. We know more about evolution than we know about any topic ever. These questions are answered so thoroughly and so evidentially, if that's a word, evidently, whatever. There's so much evidence to support these answers. Um, that's why I take them on as my, that's my answer. Okay. Yeah. So how does that, I mean, I, I'm not asking this in a, uh, in a sort of a baity way. Uh, I would say like, for example, in my worldview, if I understand that I have evolved and part of the pressures that caused me, that caused this organism to have evolved involve survival, um, needing to eat to stay alive, uh, having a drive to reproduce, then uh, I can incorporate those facts into understanding aspects of my experience, right? If I feel oh, sure. a strong mm-hmm. desire to mate, have a family, yeah. to mate, right? Um, if I if I love kids, then sure, um, sure, sure, then I can I can understand that those elements in my experience mm-hmm. can have some root in evolutionary. Um, models for understanding yeah. data that we that we derive from from natural evidence right okay yeah yeah so how does how do you see in, in what other ways would you see uh, or how would you say what i just said if that's all there is to say about how knowing about evolution informs how your actions make sense in the world yeah. So, okay. So one way uh, I would look at this and the way that just popped into my head and it's on topic, but it's not exactly, it's not evolution. Uh, um, what we know now about neuroscience and what we know about the chemical makeup of our brain and the different areas of our brain that release chemicals into our brain that generate emotion and mm. feeling in us and drive, sex drive being one of them, um, the one that we already talked about anyway, um, is a it has been a huge advantage for somebody like me who has chosen not to have a family family, not to have a wife and not to have children. Understanding the neuroscience behind that drive to have those things and the sensation and feelings you get, like for instance, when you look at a child or when you are responsible for the uh, you know upkeep and maintenance and rearing of children, this unbelievable swelling of satisfaction that you receive by doing those things. Understanding where that came from and the neuroscience behind it. And to some degree, I mean, you could squeeze in some evolution in here if you wanted to. I mean, um, there's a way to describe it evolutionarily, but I'm just sticking to the neuroscience, the, the, the chemicals in my brain. I, I, I learned that this drive and this sense that I must procreate wasn't as severe as I thought it was before I understood the neuroscience. Mm. Knowing that it's just a chemical release in my brain that it will pass gave me the information I needed and the understanding I needed to recognize those emotions for what they are, to feel them, to mourn the loss of not having those things in my life, and then to move on with the life plan that I had laid out for myself in my early 20s. I decided very very early in life I was not going to have children. That does not mean that every step along that process has been an easy step step to take. Mm. It does not mean that I do not get depressed or sad about not having children. It does not mean that I don't long for that feeling and that emotion. But understanding that emotion and understanding where it comes from and that feeling gave me the tools to be able to 
recognize that this is a phase that's going to pass. Hmm. I don't think a lot of people understand that. Do you um, do you feel like that allows you to sort of stand outside of the evolutionary process and sort of look in on yourself as an evolutionary uh, an agent which was crafted by evolution? Yeah, I mean, I think science does that in general. I think it allows us to. You mentioned it before, right? You said, uh, "What if? What if the conclusion was something completely counterintuitive?" Science gives us the answers that we would never come to otherwise, as does mathematics. But um, yeah, I mean, I think having a scientific worldview gives you the ability to step outside of what you think would be just sort of an ordinary human experience and look in on it with a new angle. It's very analogous to what birth control has done for women and women's rights. By using science to control the reproductive cycle, it has liberated women globally in some sense. Not all regions are equal, you know, equal, uh, at least not yet. But it's relieved the world of poverty. The poverty floor now is so much higher than it used to be. And most of that, the majority of that is due to birth control. So it's analogous to that in a sense. It allows you to step outside of your natural, uh, in, in the case of women and their you know, reproductive cycles, it allows them to step outside that natural cycle and really you know, accomplish what they prefer to do in their lives. Science has allowed me to step outside of this natural cycle of wanting to have children and a family and all of that and feeling like that's a drive that's never going to end and recognize that that's a phase. I will get over mm. that and I can get back down to the business of carrying on with the life that I chose for myself in my early 20s. So... What always confuses me about this type of thinking is mm -hmm. that once I understand that my mind and all my drives and emotions come from evolutionary processes, I don't understand how we think we can get outside of that box. Well, you don't. So, in the example that you just described, you don't I would get say, outside of it, really. I would say, well, I would say that in addition to your drive to have children, mm -hmm. you have another drive. I don't know exactly what that means for you, but sure. it sounds like you had a drive to do something else. You decided not to have children. Maybe you wanted to make the world a better place. Maybe you had some things that you wanted to accomplish. I'm not, I'm not, I'm no, no, not no. mocking that at all. No, I'm not saying you are. I'm okay. just laughing because it's, it wouldn't, when I, I don't know, it's, it's not the first thing that came to my mind when I was oh. 20, but yes, go okay. ahead. <laughs> well, whatever it is that you wanted to do yeah, aside yeah, yeah. from having children. Sorry, I didn't mean for that laugh to be sinister. I, I know you didn't mean anything mean by that. Um, in this evolutionary model, that other drive is also just an evolutionary force. Sure. So you're using your reason and scientific facts to make yourself feel better about indulging one evolutionary force versus another force. But I don't see how that's, I don't see how that's accomplishing anything. Does that make sense? No. Why does it, why does it matter if I'm using one evolutionary force against another? What's the difference? What does it matter? Because we're, you were, uh, what I thought you were suggesting was that in looking at the, the motivations behind a particular evolutionary force, the having children, the one you didn't want to do, right. that allowed you the free freedom to continue obeying the evolutionary force that you did want to do. Okay. But if you wanted to be fully aware of all of your, let's say if you wanted to be fully honest, then you would have done the same deconstruction for the evolutionary force that you wanted to obey and realized that that also is a force that's going to pass. But we do it for the one that we didn't want to do and leave the one that we did want to do alone and just keep going down that path, not because it was well, scientifically I superior. 
superior, but because that's what we actually wanted to do in the first place. Well, don't I don't I get to pick my life path? Yes, but well, that's to it. understand that you weren't doing it scientifically, you were using science as a crutch to help you do what you already wanted to do. Science absolutely is a crutch. Yeah, without without microscopes, we would not know about the microscopic world. You're changing the subject. No, no, no. I'm I'm, I'm saying science is a crutch. It it is uh, without telescopes, we would not know about cosmology, and your eye cannot see that far with detail. So yeah, no, the the telescope is a crutch. It's a it's a it's a path to greatness. Mm, I think uh, what I would there's nothing wrong with crutches. By I would the describe way. the telescope when you have a broken leg, you probably shouldn't put weight on it, and crutches help you. Okay, I would describe the telescope as technology, which extends our power in the world. That's another way to say it. But mm-hmm. what, what what we're talking about in terms of psychological drive, how is using evolutionary ideas to um, to help us do the things that we already wanted to do? How is that a use of technology? It's not okay. I just use that as another example. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, but so, so do you see the so, point that I'm saying that what what it sounds? I, I feel like what you were doing in that scenario was using science to help you justify what you already wanted to do, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm saying that's not a scientific worldview. No, I didn't use it to justify anything. There's no need for me to justify mm. my life yeah, choice. Right. You're right. You're of right. I used the wrong word there. Not having no, but let's let's hit this because I think it'll answer the question. There's no reason for me to justify anything. I don't want to have kids. Uh, in my early 20s, I didn't know how strong my drive would be to have children. Mm. And I didn't understand that I was going to go through a literal mourning process mm. when I didn't have children. I was going to cry about it. I was going to weep. I was going to feel worthless and self, you know, self-absorbed and all these other things. I didn't know that when I was 22. And I thought, here's what I want my life to be. And I took a lot of time. It wasn't just like I was 22 and I was drinking beer and smoking pot saying, oh, here's what I want my life to be. I really sat down and, and, and put some effort into thinking, what's the best kind of life for me to live? Mm. And my decision was not to have children, which, by the way, was based on scientific information. But the point is, is science gave me the information I needed to understand that this mourning phase is not going to last forever. I'm not going to be crying about this for the rest of my life. It's just a phase. Okay. And I made this life choice and science helped me deal with the consequences of that life choice. So it sounds like you might be saying that you actually did make the choice not to have children based on scientific information, but that wasn't what we were talking about like 20 seconds ago. I didn't realize that when I was saying what I was saying, oh. let's let's say that you had made the decision not to have children but without any science, well, just as a just well, as a um let me as be, an example. Let me right? be, let me be clear. Okay. So, so originally the choice to not have children was uh, a personal preference. Mm. Um it had to do with with personal freedom, and it had to do with the lifestyle that I want to live, okay. and the, largely the lifestyle that I do live. So it's worked out pretty well. Uh, after the fact, and it, people do this often, I think, uh, they make up their mind, uh, and then they back into that with facts that are convenient or facts that help support that decision. So as a general rule, I try not to do that. Um, for this particular case, though, um, it seems un- inconsequential. It's, it doesn't matter if I do that or not. It turns out that what I learned later on also supported my decision and reinforced, oh yeah, no, this is what I want to do. And when I came to the age, let's say 36, when I was like, oh shit, am I really not going 
going to do this? Like, am I really not going to have kids? Revisiting the science and understanding, no, no, there is good reasons not to have children. There are reasons. And and I, I hold to that. You know, I, I, I thought about it and I thought, is that still important to me? And yes, it was. When I was 21, it wasn't the thing. Right. Right. Later on, it became the thing. It was maybe when I was 23 when I started really deep diving into why I didn't want to have kids other than just personal preference and lifestyle. Okay. And it, and then I revisited it probably every two years as time changed. It's a hard choice. I've, I'm, I'm 38 and I have, I didn't realize that I would feel that. And I didn't, I'm not even sure that I did feel it until, uh, just to lay the, the groundwork here, I don't have a family. I would like to have a family, but, um, I didn't think that I wanted to have a family until I saw my peers having families and seeing, especially my brother. I had thought that someone who came from our history would bring their our previous problems with them. Sure. But sure. my brother has been such a wonderful husband and father that uh, I have that same fear. Mm, uh, and and I experienced that that let's say from an evolutionary perspective, right? We if we have some drive to have a family, that like to start a family, mm-hmm. then we also have some place in our psychology for the wife, for the children, right? And that felt, I began to feel that as kind of a gap in my experience. I understand. So I, I, I sympathize with what you're saying and, uh, not that I have sympathy for you, but I, I understand understand. what you're saying and, um, and that, that can be a hard road to walk. Very, Um, very hard. It was really difficult for me to realize that I wasn't going to get married, that I wasn't going to have a kid, that I wasn't going to fall in love. I've been in love. Uh, it's not like it's a completely foreign thing to me, but to not, to not press that to what most people do with those emotions, right? right? To not, uh, to not realize the reproduction of, of myself right. was, uh, uh, it still is really challenging. Yeah. Um, not as much though. I went through a four year process mm. where I really mourned that. I keep using that word. Um, uh, it's not like something died, no, but I understand. I there understand has to be completely. something. There had to be some repercussion for for not sailing that ship, you know, or for for letting go of that idea. And and it took a lot of time. It took a lot of self reflection. It took a lot of a lot of. Time. I I went the other direction, which is to say, I began to reflect really intently on why that hadn't like I didn't make that happen for me. That sort of happened to me. That I just probably my fears about um, doing the wrong thing and also my unsuitability to being a husband and father. Like I, I took way more of my father with me than my brother did. And I was actually blind to that. And so I spent a lot of time, probably most of my thirties trying to tear down all of the walls that had prevented me from seeing why I was so unsuitable so that I could begin to do that work of becoming a suitable husband and father. But what, what I want to go back to is, can I just say something really yeah, quick? Please. I'm sorry. It, I just think it, it, It'll help uh, sort of flush this idea. It's so funny that you say that because, not funny maybe, but interesting. Because I did everything possible I could think of to become a perfect uh, husband, essentially. Mm. Like, I learned, I read a ton of books about female psychology, especially as they relate to relationships and Mm. especially as it relates to husbandry. And I did everything I could think of from those books. As an example, I learned how to cook. And I don't mean I just learned like how to cook a, you know, boil water. I learned how to cook. And I still cook, you know, a lot. You know, I learned how to massage. I went to massages and... I learned a ton of stuff, right? And I even learned some like mind tricks, some Jedi shit. You know what I mean? That like, this is a good one if you have a girlfriend okay. or if you want to have a girlfriend. Um, when women get out of the shower, they often put lotion on. And in the wintertime, the lotion can be cold and they don't like cold. So if you heat up the lotion, 
before they get out of the shower and set it out for them. Big points. They'll think that you've somehow read their mind and that, yo, he knows me so well. And it's just a, it's just an easy, this is another, you just watch what they do, scientific method. You watch what they do and you predict what they are going to, going to need. And then boom. But anyway, it, it never happened for me either because I did, I did want long-term companionship and I still do. I think that'll probably be something that I revisit later on. Um, but I also feel like it happened to me, mm. not necessarily, uh, the, the children thing, not, not as much. I didn't want children okay. and, uh, I still don't want children. Um, but that doesn't mean that biologically I don't want children. That doesn't mean that I still don't have the chemicals and all the things in my body telling me to go have children. Uh, but the, the relationship thing didn't happen for me either. Mm. It just didn't happen. And I tried. <laughs> How many first dates have you been on? Do you think if you had to guess, you know, giving it a shot out there in the world, how many first dates? Somewhere between 50 and 100, maybe? Yeah. No, that's a that's a good number. That's a good number. I'm somewhere between 350 and 450. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I'm not saying that's like I did better no, or anything. No, no, I'm no, just I, saying I get it. that's a totally respectable number. I've heard like in the teens mostly. But yeah, no, that's... that's well, dating you, is not a really... skill that you want to have, right? Well, like, I, you yeah. Don't, you don't actually want to be going on all these first dates. You want to meet someone, have an interesting relationship and be done yeah. with dating. Yeah, so generally. It's, it's kind of a... I mean, I like dating uh, and I like meeting new people. Mm. Uh, but no, you're right. You want to meet somebody. As far as the relationship to the, goes, right? Yeah, like, you want to get to the home home plate, right? You want to round the bases and have a good time. It would be, uh, it would be. I, I like, just just sprung to mind, the idea of like non-romantic dating, mm. right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. because- It's I, called knowing married women. <laughs> <laughs> just wait, just wait four years yeah. until the kids are like- Yeah. Um, that's been really interesting in my life is that a lot of the women in my family I've gotten a lot closer to sure. as they've gotten married. Sure, sure. Um, I shouldn't say a lot. But married women love me. <laughs> Their husbands, not so much. Um, um, but yeah, like the- And I don't uh, mean that in a nefarious right, right, way. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, the uh, meeting new people is, is really fun and, and especially when it goes really well and you have a great conversation. Yeah. Sometimes that's, I've had several relationships where the first date is the, is the pinnacle of of the relationship, right? Like it's like a magical four and a half hours. Yeah, yeah. And then after that, you just slowly realize over the course of a couple months that it was really fun to have a get to know you conversation with this person. The chemistry is fine, but well, it's you not... get to know them and you don't like them. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. That happens a lot. Anyway, all right. So let's go back to what I, so, I think your comment that I'm really glad though that we went down that path. Thank you. Well, I could carry that into the religious conversation if but you let's, like. Let's do that later. Sure. So book mark that. Um, I want to go back to your remark that you understand that, let's say in this case, you made a decision and then later backed it up with scientific data. Sure. You try yeah. not to do that as a matter of course. Yeah. It's like a, as, as a, yes. For me, that is the key to, to my understanding that, um, first of all, I haven't even really made the point very well. If I have, you certainly haven't, uh, bought it and you might, I don't think you're going to buy it, but let me, let me try to make the point one more time concisely. Sure. The reason that I don't think that there is such a thing as a scientific worldview is because as we live our lives in this 12-foot bubble, this 12-foot bubble is not a scientific construction. 
We can't live in it scientifically. We can use scientific facts to inform our decisions. But as the as your example of uh, this is a huge example of not wanting to um, to have children illustrates for me our scientific facts are always coming behind. We have preferences. We have values. Those things are at the root of what it means to be us, to be an agent in this 12-foot bubble. Mm-hmm. And we can make better decisions through science. So we're integrating scientific facts into this worldview. Mm-hmm. But the worldview includes all of the other things which are not even scientific in nature. What are the things? Like whether I have a preference for apples versus bananas or green apples versus red apples. No, there's a scientific uh, there's a scientific way to view that, but go ahead. Continue. Well, I don't experience that as a scientific motivation. Well, right? you're not going to experience... Like you're not going to experience the world as hard science the way that you're suggesting. Mm. I mean... I'm not suggesting that you would. That's my entire point is that I, you I know, cannot. But you, but, okay, but you're saying like I can't have a scientific worldview if I don't experience it in this hard mm. science kind of way. And I just don't agree with that. I... I I don't understand how you say, okay, why do I like bananas more than apples? Because they have more sugar. And I evolved to like sugar more than I than other stuff. Okay, what if you like apples more than bananas? Well, then because there's variation. And some people prefer sour to sweet. Mm. There is variation. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. sour is also an indicator of sugar. There is still quite a bit of sugar in apples. Why do I prefer apples to uh, raw rice, uncooked rice? There's sugar and the uncooked rice has almost no flavor, right? I mean, it's still a carbohydrate. What if I prefer uncooked rice to apples because I'm a bodybuilder and I I enjoy that, the preference of eating this sugar-free or sugar, much, much lower sugar? Well, you'd have to be honest with yourself. Do you prefer the flavor or do you understand the science and it's now modified your behavior because you know that brown rice is better for you than bananas? But that still serves another interest. It's another scientific example though, isn't it? Which is my interest in, I, I made, I used, science to inform my worldview there. Sure. But my worldview involves the aesthetic of looking like a bodybuilder. Okay. For whatever reason. Sure. Right? What I'm saying is that the science is always serving. Very much so. Okay. It so, does serve. So that's why I think... You're saying how did you get this preference for bodybuilding or for, for the look? That's unscientific or not scientific. That's what you're saying, right? Like the fact that I want to be a bodybuilder and not a really scrawny little dude or whatever doesn't have a... It's not scientific. It's just my preference. Is that what you're saying? Sure. Sure. Okay. Yes, you are. You do prefer that to somebody that prefers to be skinny, let's say, or, or whatever, right? Maybe there's a bulimic or okay. I don't know, whatever. Sure. Just doesn't like muscles, whatever. Right, right, right. And a skinny dad. Right. But body shape and composition is largely driven by evolutionary preferences of females, what females like. I mean, there's a scientific swing and spin and angle to everything you're going to bring up because science is the study of reality. And these are all things that occur in reality. The fact that you are one of the people that doesn't, and this isn't true, by the way, you're, you're very well built. You obviously work out. But the, in this example, you're one of the people that prefers to be skinny as opposed to somebody that prefers to be a bodybuilder, right? And you're saying that's unscientific. No. Well, the scientific part about that is 
allele frequency variation, right? If you know anything about evolution, you understand that allele frequencies drive evolutionary change. There are going to be people that want to be bodybuilder type folks and people that want to be really skinny because they have different allele frequencies. There needs to be variation so that there's enough uh, variation for the genes to survive. In the case of where a bodybuilder's body type is going to be more advantageous, it serves the gene pool to, to create variation, some being bodybuilders, some being thin. So you're suggesting that there's a scientific explanation for that behavior? That's no, fine. I'm saying there's science undermining the very nature of that behavior. You prefer to be skinny. Science can explain why, but science doesn't just explain things. There are things that happen in the world, and the only way we come to know them is through science. Otherwise, why? What's your worldview say about why some people are skinny and some people are ripped or prefer to be so? Do you have any explanation? In my worldview? Yeah. Well, Without using science now. You can't borrow they, science. They choose to be. Do they? Do people choose to be ripped and choose to be skinny, or do they have body types? Did you choose to be your height or your weight or your eye color? I choose to go to the gym and lift... Heavy weights. Sure, but did you choose to have your body react to them the way they do? Some people go to the gym and they don't really get bigger. Case in point. I've been going to the gym for 20 years. I'm not very big. I think you're making a, a different type of distinction here. Like, No, I'm not. I think that's where you're, where, where you're mistaken. Okay. I'm not making a different distinction. You're just saying because they choose to be. How well, is that explaining anything? At first, what do you mean explaining? Why did they choose that? That is... Do you have a theory in your worldview for choice? Why do we choose things or how do we choose things? Hmm. I think in my worldview, the nature of the agent is such that he chooses things. Okay. That's, that doesn't that's, explain anything, but go ahead. That's right. See, I think the difference, one of the big differences between your, the worldview you're proposing as yours and the one that's mine is I have real explanations that are grounded in evidence for why people do and why I choose the things I choose. You're just commanding through fiat. You're saying it is because it is. Mm. It's very circular. I don't know if you're aware of that, but you're saying the world exists with people in it that just choose things. Why? Because it exists with people that choose things. You have no theory of choice. That's a, a, a hole in your worldview that you could fill scientifically if you really wanted to understand it. But so far, it's not there. It doesn't sound like it. Mm. This is like a science of the gaps argument. <laughs> Flipping well, I'm not the whole making thing an argument. I just answered a question that you asked me. I haven't tried to lay out my worldview for you. So You can if you want. I can, but I'm not done with talking about the scientific worldview yet. Sure, sure. So let's move on from the first thing. I don't think... I, I See, what I'm saying did is... Did what I say... Did that land? I mean, do you accept what I said? Do you see that you are just saying you're saying this is how it is and you have no reason why and I'm giving you reasons why and you're faulting me for that saying well science explains things but it's not a worldview well my point is that the worldview the 20 foot bubble in which you operate yeah you don't care about your allele frequency you don't care about evolutionary history you just have a choice to make between apples and rice right let me let me respond to that okay let me ask you a question I'm going to do it in a sort of a Socratic method okay okay, okay. who is better off uh, in this scenario you're a person that goes to the gym and you would like to get ripped and you're not getting ripped. Okay. Does it, if you are completely ignorant of all science, are you better off? Because now what's happening? You, you're doing everything that you think you need to do to get ripped and you're not getting ripped. Or are you better off and you can probably cope with and accept the fact that you're not getting ripped if you understand that certain body types don't get ripped? Mm. You can do it as much as you want and your allele frequency is such or your genes are such that you 
you are not going to get the kind of gains you're looking for. I think the Which answer world to your question is, less is pretty self-explanatory. Painful. It would be better if you had a scientific understanding of your, of your body type. Yeah. But you would also want to have a scientific understanding of whether or not going to the gym, even though you're not meeting your goals of being ripped, is still making you healthier and therefore making your life better. Okay, but which one has more mental torture? The person that's completely ignorant and just frustrated or the person that goes, oh, wait, my allele frequency is such that I should probably try to do marathons. Maybe that's my niche. Hmm. Maybe I should be a swimmer and I'll see better results. I keep lifting weights and I'm just not getting anywhere. But maybe my body type is such that I should be a mountain climber or a, a boxer, right? Yeah, sure. So that's what that's what I'm saying. It, you're, you're acting as if science is a detriment. And I'm saying it's, it's pepper. It's a flavoring that now gives me the tools I need to not just make the right decisions, what kind of exercise I should do at the gym, but it also relieves me of personal pain and trauma, understanding that maybe I should try something different and and maybe even looking into the research to find out, well, what what should I try? Now, I not only do I have an understanding of why I suck, but I have a way to fix myself. And you can't get that from your worldview. There is no fixing yourself as far as I can hear. What you are telling me is people make choices because people make choices because people make choices. Where's the fixing there? Well, the person Sorry. who makes choices should, if he can find science to help him no, you can't. make better choices. You can't. You're, you don't have a scientific worldview. You're trying That's to... That's right. I don't have a scientific worldview, but as I've so why are you using illustrated science? many times before... Those people back in the dark ages didn't have tool, science and they and lived in the world. in any worldview. Sure, but they didn't They didn't have a worldview. You want to make it into this 22-foot bubble that was applicable back in the Bronze Age before science was invented. How are they going to do it? Well, what? Do you have a time machine to take them science? No, you're so, the one that says that's the valid worldview. No. That's the one that I need to do. What I said is you find yourself in fundamentally the same situation. No, I don't. I have a lot more at my disposal. I am not in the same situation as a Bronze Age peasant. You have different facts at your disposal. I have different tools at my disposal. I have a bigger brain. I have more use of my brain. You have a bigger brain? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Absolutely. Than people our, in the Bronze Age? Our, our brains have steadily gotten bigger, yeah, over the millennia. Hmm. It may be neg negligible. I mean, there may not be... You may not... We're talking about probably very thin layers of material here. Maybe maybe only the width of a proton or whatever, but it's still bigger. Okay. It's been getting bigger ever since uh, the first Homo sapien. Hmm. Okay. So what... Where I don't understand why... I mean, I've mentioned many times that the way that I consider science is as a tool. Sure. And I do you're using the same language that I'm using when you say that science is like pepper. It's like seasoning to the worldview. That's exactly how I feel, is that I can integrate scientific facts into my worldview, but I understand that ultimately the things that I'm doing were present before science, and I'm just using science to make little upgrades. Huge upgrade, I'd say. Okay. I say, I, it sounds like you're just downplaying science just to downplay it. Like, you either recognize that the world is fucking great because of science, or you're trying to downplay it to wedge in room for some other thing. I think you're trying to do that. I don't know why you have such a hard time giving science its due. I mean... What due do you think I'm not giving? science. Well, you just, just the way you talk about it. I mean, it can't be a worldview, first of all. So it, it's invalid in some sense as, as a way no, to... You keep saying that, but I never say the, that. Well, you say it cannot be a worldview. That doesn't, that doesn't mean say that it's invalid. That it, to say that it cannot be a worldview means it's an invalid worldview. So it is not valid. That's your as a conclusion. Worldview. No, it's not yours. Mine. It's no. not mine. You're putting words in my mouth when you say that it's invalid as a if, worldview. Okay, then if you say... That's what you've been saying. 
saying? I never said the word invalid. You said it. You keep saying it. No, no, no. Yes. Okay, hold on. You don't think that what you're saying is equivalent to the word invalid? You're saying it's not a worldview. Why is it not a worldview? Uh, And you haven't been able to get there. But how is that not equivalent to saying if I use a scientific worldview that that worldview is invalid? I just don't think that there is such a thing as a scientific worldview. So if I say there is, then that statement is invalid. That statement is invalid. Yes, that's different from saying that science is invalid. No, I'm saying scientific worldview is invalid. You keep saying that. You won't let me have a scientific worldview. By the way, I'm not saying you can't have a theocracy and a religious worldview. For some reason, you feel the need to deny my worldview, even when I can demonstrate it to you. This is another thing that I have. This is another thing that I have a problem with is you will not recognize this evidence. And you just, this is a very theocratic thing to do. That's not true. I think think what you are doing is projecting an idea of what's going on inside my head onto me because you don't like the fact that I won't bow to your arguments or whatever. I think we should move on from from this point because we're not making any headway there. But I think we understand the outlines of what each other are saying there, right? So let's go on to my second point. My second point is that even if there were a scientific worldview, then no one person could have the scientific worldview for the reasons that I hinted at earlier, which is that there's just too much science. There's too many papers being published in too many journals, too many branches of science, too many facts. And even the sharpest scientists in those fields, at the top of those fields, it can be difficult for them to keep up with all of the literature and understand everything that's happening in those branches, right? Because mm-hmm. science at its at its actual the leaves, the edges of the tree where it's being done mm-hmm. is very sophisticated and it can take, mm. you know, 10, 15 years just to bring into yourself all of the models and ways, all the methodologies of that particular branch of science in order to really understand what the papers are saying. Yeah, no having an understanding of science and the scientific method and the things that science has has come to understand is a very complicated thing. It's very hard. I do not envy the task of a person who is just trying to take this on, <laughs> maybe from a, a place of ignorance and not not understanding these things. But I'm not talking about in general. I mean specifically, like picks any branch of, let's say, molecular biology or. Well, I'm just and, saying it's it, it's in general and specific. Okay. In general, it's very difficult to understand, and in uh, the more specific you get, the more difficult it mm. is. I would say. Okay. So, so you're right. In order to I don't envy that. In order to build the scientific worldview, which mm-hmm. takes all scientific facts into account and assembles them together into mm-hmm. the way of being, which denies no scientific fact and takes into account every scientific fact. Well, you can't it, take into account every scientific fact. I mean, we already said that the 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 capacity is just too big. Right. So that's why I think the idea of having a scientific worldview in which you know all of science and assemble it into to the most correct worldview because we don't know that the facts that we don't know aren't the most important. And we often will learn something and it will change our whole life. It, right? It's just another example of you saying, because I don't know everything, that I, that for some reason my worldview is, isn't a good, I shouldn't have it, my worldview. I'm not going to say that's invalid because you hate that word, but you're saying it's not a good idea to have a scientific worldview or to try to, or that you can't have a scientific worldview because you don't know all the facts. That's right. That's right. And that's ridiculous. Why would you not? Let's say you just know one fact. Okay. That's all you know. Is it better to live your life as much of uh, in accordance to that one fact? But you can't build a worldview out of one fact. That one fact would inform your worldview. God exists. 
you think that's real and that's that's the one fact that has to be true if your worldview is valid. I do not have one fact that I have to believe. In fact, all the facts are up to uh, potentially being shown to be false. Mm. I, they're all falsifiable. That's the beauty of the facts of science. But no, this is ridiculous. It's ridiculous to say that because I don't know every single scientific fact that for some reason I need to throw it all out. But that's what a scientific worldview would be. No, it, it would wouldn't. be an assemblage of every scientific fact. It would be an into assemblage, a complete picture of the world. It, it would be an assemblage of every scientific fact you're aware of. You, you're not going to know every scientific fact. I do not know currently what the exact speed of light is. I know kind of roughly what it is. Okay. I do not need to know in order to have an understanding of light, which further gives me an understanding of time and space. Okay. I do not need to know exactly, but I do know roughly. And there are certain facts of science that uh, that I will never know. And it doesn't mean that I now cannot make decisions in my 22-foot bubble that affect me and the people around me, and that my model of my 22-foot bubble, the one that includes things like viruses and bacteria, and therefore make me make decisions based on that, like going and get a flu shot, right? That does not mean that I can't do those things and, and give science the credit for it. But again, you're just using science to inform your worldview there. Yeah. You haven't built a complete picture of what the world is. Neither have you. You don't have any clue of what the world is in comparison to every everything that the world is. What about ism? No, no. If you can do it, I can do it. If you can point at me and say, but you don't know everything. But I'm holding you to your own standard. I do not have a standard where you have to know everything. Mm. I don't know why you think that's part of my standard. Okay. I do not think you have to know everything, but you should know as much as you can. <laughs> and you should, you should really focus on the facts if you can. But you don't know that the facts that you're focusing on are the most useful facts until you know all the facts. Uh, you don't know that they're the most useful, but you know that they're facts. So they are useful. Okay, good. They're not the most useful. So I think I've made my point there. Uh, I can see that you're not going to buy that one. What Let's, is your point? My point is that because that I don't, don't know everything, have a scientific worldview. Do you because remember I don't I, know every. Do you scientific remember when we fact? spoke on the phone? You said oh, I don't what? believe in a. Uh, I don't believe in your truth. I believe in a truth. The truth. The truth. Mm -hmm. And science is the way to discover the truth. It's the only way we know of so far. Okay. So if you only know a subset of science, mm -hmm. what do you have? Part of the truth. Which is your truth. Mm, okay. If that's what you want to call it. It's, so if it's you also want a complete your truth picture of if reality. you came to know those same parts, though. Yep. It would not be different. Our truth. But your truth is not the truth. And if you knew all... It is, the... it, it is if you are using those facts. If okay. you're calling your truth uh, uh, an accumulation of scientific facts, right? Yep. And that might be different. My truth at this point in time might be different than your truth because you have a different set of scientific facts that you understand. Yep. But let's say we know the exact same facts. Then our then your truth and my truth become our truth. Okay. And they are part of the truth. Okay. So do you think that you can select any subset of the truth and what you come away with is good and useful to informing your decisions about life? Yeah, as long as they're as long as they are subset of the truth. Mm. Yeah. I don't see that that's true, and I see that Why there not? are many examples in which that is not true, and Give we can one. see that in the practice of science recently. Give me one. For example, nutrition science. Okay. We learned lots of facts about nutrition. Okay. People made decisions, uh, health pyramids were made, and so forth. Sure. And then we later learned that those facts that were used to assemble those those pyramids and those recommendations were incomplete. Sure. And actually, we're advising people to get really unhealthy and do things that are bad for them. So the key word there was incomplete. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. so it was a subset of the truth. Right. So the facts that we didn't know were as important as the facts that we did know. Sure. Was it better than eating poison? Who was eating poison? No, no, I'm asking you. Was was eating the pyramid better than eating poison? Yes. Okay. Could you sustain life from it? Yes. Okay. Could you live a relatively healthy life from it? Long and so on. No, it poisoned people. Like it made their lives much worse. We saw a huge Not increase in cardio- cardiovascular disease and obesity and all that kind of stuff. Okay, but n- not just because of this food pyramid. But okay, it, did it have too much? Did it have too much sugar and carbohydrates? Yes. Was there a sugar lobby? Yes. I mean, you would agree that we have a set of facts about food, and the more we know about food, and the more facts we know about food, the better off we are at planning a diet for ourselves. Well, one right? of the things that we're doing with science now is validating how healthy many ancient and traditional diets were, and we're going back to old sure. ways of eating. Sometimes. I mean, I have amaranth in my uh, pantry. I don't know what that is. It's an old grain. Mm. I mean, you know, it's not, it's, it turns out it's pretty healthy mm. um, as far as grains go. No, I, I, I don't see your point. It, it doesn't make sense to me uh, that you've made a point. You're so saying that we learned... some scientific facts are better than other scientific facts. Um, not exactly. I'm saying that a scientific fact could be true under the conditions which it was studied. Sure. And we could see whatever the, whatever the, I don't know what the whole history of the nutrition was, but whatever the, the conditions of the study were that led to certain kinds of conclusions. Yeah. The conclusions that those studies came to, sometimes they're bad conclusions, but let's, let's uh, give them the benefit of the doubt and say that the conclusions were correct for the data that they collected, right? Okay. But then because of the conditions in which the data were collected, it turns out that applying those conclusions to the population at large was a mistake. Okay. But in the case of the food pyramid that you're talking about, okay, the science was not peer-reviewed to the point where we could say that it was valid mm. and there was a sugar lobby that lobbied the government to publish the food pyramid showing sugar to be much, much less harmful than it actually is. So you're not talking about pure science and you're not talking about good science and notice that your remedy to this problem is pure and good science. So it's definitely not a religious worldview or any other worldview. It's still science. But the science led you to the problem in the first place. Absolutely. And it's going to so lead you out. <laughs> but that's not uh, much help to, to your but that's own... not much help to the people who died of heart attacks right no it's not no it's not but so, but you didn't come up with any other way to get there you still said science is going to lead you out okay so you're still but stuck in the same problem we're deeply into a scientific worldview that's that's what people accept as knowledge what do you accept you came up with an example and you came up with a conclusion and a solution and it was still all science there's no there's no god in any of that there's no anything other than science in any of that and the problem with it was is you had people who were deliberately falsifying or making false studies and pumping money into the governmental system to publish what they wanted, not what the science said. But there were plenty of scientists who were operating in those studies in good faith and thinking, now, thank goodness, we can get science on this problem of nutrition. Of we course. can finally yeah. develop solutions to optimizing human health and blah, blah, blah. We'll, we'll. And sure. I'm not saying, like, that's good. I don't have any problem with that. The point is that they were scientists operating in good faith, and the data that they produced was still terrible 
terrible for people. It was terrible for people to incorporate into their worldviews. Well, it was only terrible because they didn't peer review it thoroughly. And they had Sugar Lobby working against them with the government to publish what they wanted, not what the science wanted. Mm. I mean, if you're going to pick an example, so that's a good example of how science got us as close as we were going to get with all the other factors in there that aren't science-based. Also putting in their two cents. And when you put a bunch of science in with a bunch of non-science, you get problems. Yeah. Okay. The more science, the better. So what do we do about the problem that the layperson who is trying to understand how to inform their worldview scientifically mm-hmm. cannot read all of the science to have all of the facts by which they can make a correct decision? Because I think there were people at that time who could have pointed out these problems, uh, they, who were talking yeah, about these problems, mm-hmm. and they just weren't listened to. Right? right, yeah. So the consensus from the scientific community at that time was... No, there wasn't a scientific good. Con- consensus in that sense. That was not... There isn't going to be a scientific consensus on in, incomplete data. I mean, you got to get more But you studies. don't know that it's incomplete until you find out later that it's incomplete. No, in, in the case that you're talking about, there were other factors too, though. Okay. I mean, there were scientists that were bought by the sugar industry to make stuff happen a certain way. And then there was the sugar lobby that actually paid politicians to, to publish this specific pyramid. So you're talking about a completely corrupted system. To answer your question, you're going to have to read a lot. <laughs> you're going to have to study and research. You can't just go to the same building once a week and all chant the same five words. You got to get out there. You got to dive in and well, you got to get I'm into the science. This is not possible for the average person. It is possible. I'm average and I steep myself in the science as much as possible. It's becoming much more easy, I would say, with things like podcasts and YouTube and all the other stuff that's out there that gives you as much information as possible in these small little like 15 minute increments. So you think that someone who is genuinely making that effort can learn everything that they need to know about science in order to have, it will be a subset of science, but it will be sufficient to make good decisions. It will be sufficient to inform your worldview correctly. I, I don't see any other way to to understand reality. But that's if, not answering my question. Yeah, if you want to make decisions and you want them to be correct, you need to understand reality as much as you can. And the way to do that is, is with science, mm. is understanding science. You've outlined a problem, but you haven't answered my question as to whether it's actually possible to do that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, it's possible. How yes. do you know? Because I'm doing it. Have you proved that and scientifically? And you're doing it. Or are you just guessing? No, I read all the science that I can. And when I need to solve a problem in my life, I look to science. And I have solved many, many problems in my life. Okay. But that's not evidence that your worldview is complete and that the knowledge that you have from science. Well, we already said your worldview isn't going to be complete. It's not going to be 100% complete. You said that my worldview can't be because there's so much information. And I agree. And it won't be. So complete, just abandon that word. It's not going to happen. So what do you do when your worldview? worldview is incomplete, mm-hmm. you don't know how to find the science that you need, and you still have to make decisions. I mean, you do the best you can, but you look for the science. Okay. You find the science. So what if there is no science? Name one thing that there's no science on. That's one of the great things about living in today's world is science is so robust that it probably can at least touch on something mm. that you're worried about. What is it that you're worried about that there's no science to, to resolve? Mm. How do I unite all of the science that I need to in order to live the best life? How do you unite? Okay. Um, Well, let me ask you a series of questions, if that's okay. Sure. Okay. Um, 
what would you say right now is the pressing subject that you're looking to be enlightened on? Like what, what would be the number one, if you had to rank a few things, let's say three, what are the top three things that you need to figure out right now? How to effectively communicate my worldview to a hostile listener. <laughs> okay. And? Um, how to maximize my career. Okay. And? How to continue to grow as a human in all of the ways that I find most valuable as a human. All right. That's not specific enough, but we'll, we'll get to that. Okay. So the first one is how to communicate with people. Um, there's a whole, there's a whole field of science, uh, psychology and behavioral psychology specifically that deals with human interaction. Specifically, there is another subset of that that deals with how to interact with people that are hostile. So there's like hostage negotiations, that type of science. There's, uh, it would be one example, right? I mean, I'm not going to get into everything. I don't even know everything. So it's like, you know, okay, but you could, you could specifically research hostage negotiation body language and let's say negotiating skill and, and gambits mm. in order to communicate with somebody that might be hostile with you. So you're trying to buy a car. This person is hostile. They want the same thing you want, money, right? How do you how do you get a wedge in there to get a best deal possible? Something like that. Okay. How do you explain yourself to somebody like me who, who rejects what you're saying? So on and so on, right? So we have psychology. So what do I do if there are multiple branches of psychology and they have conflicting advice on how to solve the same problem? Uh, I would probably dive into the one that is the most peer-reviewed or the most valid as, as a field. So mm. a lot of the times it's the oldest, right? Or it's the it's the most... First off, though, I would understand, okay, how many different points of view are there? How many schools of thought are there, right? Okay. Are there any that can just be pushed out of the way right away? Are there any that don't apply to me? Are there any that just don't really take into account my situation? Um, so maybe specifically host hostage negotiation. You're not actually trying you're not a hostage negotiator it'd be kind of cool to learn but you don't really need to know that okay what you really need to know is tit for tat bargaining maybe you're trying to buy a car right so you really need to know something like bargaining and mm. something like negotiation gambits okay so you, you, the first thing you do is you figure out how many different things are there to choose from, and then you try the you, you research the one that most applies to your specific situation. Okay. So you're looking for something that applies to you. Yeah, you're that applies to this situation as much as you can. Yeah. So are you aware of what at least Twitter is referring to as the replication crisis in the social sciences right now? I don't know. Let's take a quick Google. This is another one of the reasons that I think science's greatest strength, which is that it is willing to admit that. That everything that it has thought before is wrong or incomplete, right? And completely change, uh, completely change axes. Uh, or directions, as it were, based on new evidence, hmm. is the exact reason why you would not want to use science as a basis of certain really kinds of important decisions in your life. So I'll just outline one here. Are you familiar with the Stanford prison experiment? No. It's a, an experiment that this guy ran where he assigned some students to be guards, I'm air quoting here, mm -hmm. and other students to be prisoners, and okay. then sort of let the guards run the camp for three days. And um, one of the things that the guards had to do was administer shocks to the prisoners. And there were no actual...
actual shocks being administered. The I, I think I already said this up wrong. The prisoners were actors. Yeah, yeah. But um, I get you. The test was the the person you know one of the interns running the experiment or whatever mm-hmm. is saying um, administer shock level one. Yeah. So they press the button and yeah, then it yeah. goes all the way up to shock level whatever ten. Right? right. Right. And as they get to shock level ten, then the the actor who's pretending to be a, a prisoner is is really screaming. Yeah, yeah. And the feedback becomes. Yep, I'm familiar with the experiment. The, okay. Mm-hmm. So the guard is saying like, do I really have to press this button? And the person with the clipboard is saying, yes, it's required that. Yes. Or, or like they're not they're not answering the question directly. They're just sort of yeah. okay. So the idea was that um, you know it was sort of a look into the dark side of human nature, what people will do when they're. This is how the Nazis were so successful. Sure. Yeah. So it turns out that the guy who did that experiment one um, like. There wasn't a there wasn't a veil of secrecy between him and the students who were participating. This experiment, by the way, has been outlawed. Just so you're aware, mm, um, due to the anxiety that the person that's administering the shock generally feels. Well, this is what came out recently: is that those people were in on the game. They knew what was happening. They knew what was expected of them, and they performed. And he also um, made up large parts of his data. So here's what I imagine if I am trying to build a scientific worldview from the latest scientific evidence is that, let's say I'm 20 years old, I hear about this experiment, mm-hmm. and I think, my God, like, this is what people are actually like deep down. We're all going around, going to the grocery store, pretending to be kind to each other, but when the chips are on the table, this is what we're really like. And I incorporate that view of what people can do under certain circumstances into my model of what a person is, and I treat people accordingly. I'm deeply suspicious of people that I don't know or whatever conclusions that you draw from this, right? Like okay. it's your responsibility to incorporate the data into your worldview. What right? you're doing sounds very unscientific, by the way, but go ahead. What's that? The way you're describing how to incorporate this data, but go ahead. What, what's unscientific about it? I don't know why you would ever say this is how people really are. Well, I, I think that was the... I don't know why you would ever say this is how we're all just pretending when we're out getting coffee. Mm. I don't know why you would say that. That's not very scientific and it's not a valid conclusion from the data. Because rich, white, super privileged students at an elite university in three days supposedly had turned into Nazi monsters. Yeah. That doesn't mean that's how everybody is and that doesn't mean that's who we really are. Well that I was the conclusion that was the conclusion from the experiment. No, the conclusion from the experiment was is that it's possible to manipulate people based on proximity and based on perceived authority mm. to do things that they wouldn't normally do. In fact, all of the experimenters were all seen as authority figures, either through some sort of uniform or because they had staff members who were clearly positioned behind them. The closer the authority figure was to the person administering the shock, the more likely the person was to administer it. If they just phoned it in, for instance, this was also part of the experiment. Mm. If they phoned them and said, no, I'm sorry, but you must proceed, then they were much more likely to be disobeyed. And the the, the conclusions were about how we control other people mm. and how proximity, authority, Authority or perceived authority and so on plays a role in our societal norms. It's not that we're evil. Those people weren't evil. They were able to do evil things because of what they perceived their duties to be. Mm. To, to know that it's possible that you could be a perfectly good person and under the right circumstances commit an atrocity is incredibly enlightening and freeing. <laughs> 
well, more so, so than it is any kind of detriment to society. I mean, to know that that's possible and to now, now, now you're aware, oh, this authority figure is telling me to do something that I believe to be immoral. Am I, am I considering obeying because they're a, an authority figure or am I considering doing it because I, I am also immoral? Now that you're armed with that information and that knowledge, you're better able to act in the world that you inhibit, right? Your 22 foot bubble. But that's what I'm saying is that it wasn't information and it wasn't knowledge. It was made up. It wasn't made up. What part of it was made up? I just told you. It's been recently revealed. They found lots of his letters and people, uh, the people who were in the experiment have come forward and, and talked about it. I mean, you can look it up. We can talk about it next time if you want. I'm sort of blindsiding you with that. Yeah. But Well, the experiment that I'm aware of, the one that uh, it was like 1967, mm -hmm. is that the one you're talking about? I don't know what year it was, but I think I think that's right. Like 60s? Stanford Prison Experiments, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. If, 60s, yeah. if there was an element of those experiments that was false falsely documented or done, there were still elements of it that have been reproduced. It, it's With a, much weaker replication effects. Well, possibly, but the parts that, that withstood peer review are still valid. They still teach part of that mm -hmm. study right. in psychology. Right. That's yeah. what I, this is what I'm saying. No, this is a problem. No, it's not a problem because the things that they're teaching in the psychology class are the parts that withstood peer review. No, I'm the saying parts this all that came out very recently, like within the last three out. or four years. See, that's that's what I think is another. It's well, another here's effect the of the scientific worldview is that we now we have this idea that the scientific class is like I don't know they're reliable in some way that they really aren't, and that we can see to, this classic teaching. You still have to being, be skeptical. You don't you don't take this on full without any skepticism mm. Here, here's here's what here's what i don't think you're understanding there were bits do you i haven't seen the article or whatever okay. right but there were bits of this experiment that were peer-reviewed so they redid it they did it over again mm -hmm. and there were bits that were ferreted out as correct okay and then there were bits that weren't okay let's say that the original study let's say it was 50 50 right there were 50 percent of the students did what they were told and 50 percent didn't okay and this was thought to be astonishingly high okay and then every time it was peer-reviewed it was more like 25 percent right and then they said but in that original study it was really really high like they got a really high response and then just a couple weeks ago or whatever it came out that that study was false that they that they inflated their percentages okay well what do we what do we know from that now well we know that the peer-reviewed stuff the 25 percent stuff is what is definitely true it's definitely not falsified yet is what you mean right it's the same thing no yeah it is it is the, if you don't understand that then you don't understand science if you have a hypothesis and you cannot falsify it, it is true. That is the whole point. <laughs> Once you've falsified, then it is not true or some element of it is not true. But and in the case of this, the part that was uh, peer-reviewed, the 25% is true. And then the extra 25% was falsified away through peer review. But the true is just not falsified yet. That's what's left. It's the same as true. That is a completely different take on what truth is than what most people mean by the word truth. Well, then they're wrong. They don't understand what truth is. Mm. It, you, you're never going to get absolute truth. It doesn't exist. There is no absolute truth. But in the model of falsifiability, we don't even talk about truth. We just talk about not falsified yet. Correct. Working hypothesis. Correct. That's true. Okay. So in science, that's how they that's how they word it. Yeah. But so for think, a layman, it's the same as true. I think you illustrated my point when you said that if you find out XYZ from this study, that's incredibly liberating, but it was later falsified. Not all of it. Not, not all in of its it. entirety. But it's and still taught that, in the original form, right? No, no, 
don't know. I don't know because I haven't gone to school in 12 years or whatever. That's how it's I was been. taught it. Well, you said the study just came out two weeks ago or whatever. Recently. Okay. Yeah. So, duh. Yeah. The shit you learned in college is not going to, you're not going to, you so were taught what you was that, true. If you took that into your worldview. Yeah. And used it as applicable in some situation as a way of understanding what other people can act like. Sure. And it wasn't true. It was true. It wasn't 50%. It was 25%. So the model that you took on and incorporated into your worldview right. wasn't true. Okay, so it was you, partially tried it true. Out, you tried it out on 100 people, and instead of 50 people doing what you told them to do, only 25% of them well, did it. Well, that's not how we live, right? We don't try things out on people well, in no, scientific but that's what experiments. You're, that's what you're saying. That When you're saying it's not true, that's what you're saying. What I'm saying is I need to form a view of human nature, which is intangible and invisible to me, right? I need to understand what motivates other people's behavior. So I'm forming a mental model sure. through all of the data that I take in, sure. the people that I encounter at the grocery store, yes. the people, uh, the studies that I read about behavioral science. If my encountering people at the grocery store is a more reliable guide to how people actually behave than studies that people are making up and putting in psychology textbooks for 50 years, well, they then why should I use up. those? They didn't make it up. It was peer-reviewed. The peer, re the according, I don't know they the exact... They peer-reviewed a made-up experiment. No, all experiments are made up. All experiments are something somebody figured I out mean, how fictional, to do. A fictional experiment. An experiment that did not happen under the, the conditions happened. that it was represented. No, the experiment happened, but they said that 50% more or whatever. I don't know the stats, sure, so sure. this is we a lot of speculation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay? That's fair. That's fair. But this but is not the only example of this, you right? You not replication. knowing the whole truth... Okay. You only, you over accentuating in the case of the example or over uh, inflating or whatever, saying it's more true than it actually is, saying that 50 people out of 100 are going to behave this way when it's actually only 25 is, is an error. It's a part of an error bar. 25 people out of 100 still behave that way. So it's not false that people can behave. Are you saying that it's false that people behave that way? Because they do behave that way. Do you, do you disagree that? But the degree to which they behave that way way is the crux of the matter. Fine, but they do behave that way, right? And that some percentage of people under some conditions and those sure. details make up what's important to understand. No, what's important to understand is that some people will do things that are immoral when they're told to do it by an authority figure. Whether or not you're dealing with that kind of person, if you follow the study and, and we're speculating here a little bit because we don't know exactly the numbers, but according to what we've just determined based on this conversation is 25%. Okay. It used to be 50, but it's 25 now. That's a big difference. So what? So it's still more accurate than not knowing anything about what you're talking about, than not knowing that an authority figure can make somebody do but something we, immoral. We already knew that from World War II. We didn't need a scientific experiment to show us that. We knew it from observing people. So if all the scientific data is... Okay, I don't, I don't want to hammer on that too much more. The point is that I'm trying to make, which I can see again, we're not going to agree on, is that precisely because science can completely reverse its position... It didn't completely reverse its position. But it doesn't matter. It could have. No, it didn't. I didn't say that it did. I said it could have. Then why did you just say it did? I said... You're if, misrepresenting your position. Please stop doing that. No. That is not what you did. That's not what we determined based on what you just said. And that's not what science does. So please don't do that. You're misrepresenting that. Position. But science can do that, right? Uh, name one time that it has. You had a, you had a, you had every example at your, at your disposal. And that's the one you chose. And after we went through it and talked about it, it did not reverse its position. Well, you had the 
just used your interpretation. I just agreed to your reinterpretation of the study that you made up as a, as a gesture of good faith. You did. No, I you didn't. made up 50 that's, and 25. That study, well, I made up that yes. part, but it's not made up that that study was reproduced and found to be valid. Mm -hmm. it, it did go through peer mm -hmm. review. But now you're holding your me problem, to your data that no, you made up. Your problem with which it I is that it is faith. In somehow less true because less of a percentage of people will be affected by this kind of behavior, right? But let's say that it that was... That is not a complete 180 turn. But let's say that it was 75 originally sure. and 25 in the new. So what? So now we've gone from a majority of people are like this sure. to a minority of people are like this. Okay. It's not a 180 degree turn. There are still people like this. There's a huge difference between majority and minority. Granted. It affects how I, can how I can treat the average person that I deal with. It's a huge difference, but it is not a 180 degree turn. It is not a complete reversal. It would. It could potentially reverse Just the say way yes, that I it's not a complete reversal and you misspoke and just change your answer. Why do you want to control the words that are coming out of my mouth, Paul? I don't because need to be here for that. it's so obvious that this is what you're you just won't say okay i made a mistake it's not a 180 degree turn it's not completely i didn't say that at all you what i said that. was that it's possible for science to do that and you got angry because we weren't talking about that in this instance it is not there is no scientific theory that i know of right now that has any possibility <laughs> of being overturned and completely disproven. Name one theory that is under any threat of a complete reversal. That's exactly what happened with Newtonian physics. It did not. Newtonian physics is, is all derivative from Einstein. You can get all of Newton, Newton's equations from Einstein. You can derive all of them. But the, its entire model of the cosmos is incorrect. No, it is not. You can still use Newton to get to every planet in this solar system. You can still... I we, can still use flat Earth theory to get to Dallas from here. That doesn't mean it's correct. No, but the parts that are correct are still useful. But we don't say that it's true. It did true. not completely reverse Newtonian physics. What Newton didn't understand that uh, Einstein did was that these forces like gravity do not happen instantaneously. They travel at the speed of light. That was the big difference between Newtonian physics and Einstein's physics. Uh, the other thing, obviously, is that Einstein understood that space actually bends, that it's not a force like a string mm -hmm. holding a planet in place. It's a gravity well that captures a planet, right? so on and so on. And in Newtonian physics, space-time... Didn't exist, so, really. Me, space is fundamental, and time is the movement of matter through space. So the entire basis of the cosmos changes from Newton to Einstein. Did matter all of a sudden not become matter? No. Newton knew matter existed, and he knew that it interacted with other matter. There was not a complete reversal, okay? That is not what happened. There was not a complete reversal. The bodies still behave exactly the same way Newton described them in his equations. That is not a reversal. The planets are still orbiting the same way. They're orbiting the same in the same order. That's not a complete reversal. What Einstein did was he took what Newton basically laid out in math and made it more accurate. The error bar became smaller. Mm -hmm. Exactly the same thing with this study about human behavior. The error bar was smaller. But that's like saying that the error bar became smaller from epicycles to Newton. Okay. It's true. Yeah. But the entire model of the cosmos changed in order to make that error bar go down. The entire model didn't change. I don't know why you keep saying that. It did not change. All right. New... 
different planets didn't orbit different things? That all planets there, all stay no in planets the same orbit. orbit? Planets move in straight lines. They don't orbit. They absolutely do orbit. Look in, it up. In Newtonian mechanics, but in the Einsteinian model, they move in straight lines because of the curvature of space. They orbit because of the curvature of space. They, they appear to orbit to in three-dimensional space. Whatever. Let's move on. Okay. So I think I've uh, outlined why I don't... I think that it makes... I shouldn't say it makes more sense. What people actually do is incorporate the sense data from their lives. Sure. They're smiling at the cashier. Sure. The replication crisis, which does not include only the Stanford Prison Experiment, but a whole host of other experiments showing that the the peer review and citation process was so excited at all these new findings yeah, that it wasn't careful enough. They're not doing a good enough job peer reviewing. Absolutely. There's a whole branch of science that could be expanded on with peer review. And so the idea that we should take on what these findings that we have from science with skepticism to Absolutely. me shows that we are using some other method of evaluation to incorporate these scientific findings into our worldview. We're using our actual experience. We're using our common sense, air quotes again. Well, common sense would say the earth is flat. So we understand science knows more than we do. So we still have to, we still have to go. I'd like to wrap this up soon and have maybe another 10 minute conversation about something else that you said last time, which I thought might be interesting, might not. Okay. Um, yeah. So, but, so the idea that, um, I mean, I think my last point will just play to all the things that you've already said, the way that you've set up your position. I feel like what you're saying is that, I shouldn't say I feel like what you're saying. I don't hear you disagreeing with the way in which I use science, which is I understand that I can't take it all in. I hope that the things that I'm exposed to and that I hear about, which become popular enough to rise to my level of awareness, because I'm certainly not reading scientific journals, are the things that will actually make my life better. Okay. That's all I can do, right? Okay. So... I, I have a life that I built. Sounds really passive, but oh, go ahead. I mean, it doesn't have to be that passive is all I'm saying. It sounds very passive the way you're saying it. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to well, be. Well, I I, I, I'm not interested in living my life as a consumer of scientific information. I want to take that information and do the other things that I want to do, Yeah. which are things that are, for whatever reason, of interest to me personally, right? I don't go to science to find the things that I'm interested in. I go to science for help with the things that that I'm interested in. I built my worldview out of my experience and I try to use science in order to improve my thought processes where I can. Well, and I just don't think it... I understand what you're saying. I, that all sounds fine. I just don't know why you... Because I recognize that I'm, I'm pulling science into what I want to do. I'm not asking science, what should I want to do? Well, fine. But you could if you wanted to. And I don't understand... I guess I don't get why you... Don't don't under why you don't think or understand or see that these experiences that you have in the world are just little scientific experiments that you're taking information from and using for other parts. I mean, these are all things that happen in reality I mean, that you're able to verify. What you're saying, and correct me where I'm wrong, because I'm assuming I'm wrong, I don't is that you... everyone has already always been doing science before the enlightenment because that's how people operate they go around in the world this is how people have always been operating they go around they do things they try to learn things not science in the strict sense of of like hard science and you know building microscopes and looking at stuff like that not like that but you are you are a three-dimensional material object in the world interacting with other three-dimensional material objects in the world there is sort of one big science experiment going on 
And when you go out to the bar and you push somebody and you say, get out of my fucking way, and he tries to fight you, you learn that when you get aggressive, people get aggressive back. And that is a little experiment. You, you don't have to call it scientific if you don't want to. I don't think that you but can the call it scientific. Why, well, the reason why it is scientific is because it's dealing with reality. There is a, there is a fundamental operation of science, which is that is to understand that which is in reality. Mm. And it's a methodology. The methodology, the scientific method is a slightly different methodology. But when you're dealing with reality mm. and when you're engaging with reality, you're, you're conducting some kind of little experiment. Mm. And it may or may not be scientific in the sense that it's going to go through the peer review process and you're going to write a little paper about your experience at the bar. But it's scientific in the sense that it deals with reality. I'm asking what exists in the experiment that you're doing. I exist, the person exists, the bar exists, mm. the alcohol exists. Good, good, good. Okay. Okay. I want to have a short conversation in which I illustrate how, di in which I'll try to illustrate how difficult it is to understand scientifically that those things exist. Those things exist for us. They are the world that we live in. Okay. But in terms of scientific models, the thing that you're describing doesn't exist in the same way that an atom exists or a star exists. What am I describing that doesn't exist? A person, a bar, that alcohol exist might exist. in the way atoms exist? Right. Those are all made up of atoms. So they exist in exactly the same way atoms exist. But they don't appear in the models with which we do physics, right? What are you talking about? Of course they do. The models with which we do physics have models for atoms, sure. but they don't have models for people, for of course, bars. Of course they do. Yeah, they do. The atoms... Uh, okay, go ahead, though. You were trying no, to listening. make a point. I'm listening. No, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to assume I know what you're trying to say, so go ahead, because I, I'm don't, saying I that have no idea what you're talking about like, right now. But... In terms of the predictions that the models generate, uh -huh. they don't generate predictions for persons. You could go to psychology for that, but they don't exist in the physics models. Well, a physics model is not going to necessarily... Okay. Unless a person is being affected by gravity or something, right? But then in we space. wouldn't actually care that they're a person. They would just be a collection of atoms being affected by gravity. Well, you would still care if you wanted, if you're trying to predict how beneficial or harmful it would be for a person in space. If you wanted to understand the effect of reentry into the atmosphere on those atoms, you could calculate that with physics. Right? Yeah, but you would but only... then you would come out of that model back into your 20-foot bubble to understand that those atoms are a person and that it would be bad for those atoms to re-enter re I don't gravity. think your mind goes through the process that you're suggesting, though. I don't think that you separate your mind from in ways that you're suggesting. I don't know even why you would. But we have to understand that that is this what is we actually do. We no, just don't, don't think about it. I don't know that we do that. I don't, I don't, I don't know that I... I mean, maybe. Maybe we do. It just sounds bizarre. This, this doesn't sound very human to me. That's right. It's very hard to understand. The easiest way to understand it is to look at the history of artificial intelligence. Hold on, hold on. Let's pump the brakes a minute. Okay. Are you sure you want to get into the history of artificial intelligence? You wanted to wrap up and then get to something on this list or something. Actually, I'd like to home in on an example that you brought up last time I was here, which is when you were saying, why can't you tell me why God is real in the same way that this notebook is real? Yeah, because you, you, if I remember correctly, you were saying that you interact with God in your mind and somehow that is similar to being real. Mm. Well, you were just saying that all of our interaction with science scientific data is through our senses. Right, but that's with stuff in the actual three-dimensional world. Which we know this is because matter. of our senses. 
Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So tell me about the ways in which the notebook is real. It's made of matter. It has weight. You can measure it. You can make falsifiable claims about it and then falsify them mm. or, or fail to falsify them because they're accurate. Okay. Um, any, That's else? true of every three-dimensional object, right? What else do you need? Yeah. So what is, what is it that makes the notebook real? All the things I just said. But that makes everything real. Uh, so tell me about the that's notebook how specifically. That's reality. What do you mean, the notebook specifically? Well, that's how you're defining reality. But well, that's for how me, reality is defined. <laughs> it's made up of things called matter. Mm. That are held together with energy. Tell me right? more. Tell me more about this definition of reality. Like, where did you get it? It's what we've come to understand through the scientific process. I, I mean, mean it's, we came to know that it's made up of matter through the scientific process. So everywhere that I go in science, I assume I'm dealing with reality in all the branches of science. I need to have some matter in the models that I use in order to understand that it's dealing with reality. Uh, I don't know. For sure. I don't okay. know for sure. But well, I would say uh, like psychology seems to be an obvious exception to that rule, right? Not in, It's not entirely divorced from matter. No. I mean, you're talking about psychology is within the mind of a human. A human is made up of matter. The mind is made up of matter. All the processes in the mind are made up of matter. Do I? So if I go to any psychological models, they'll be discussing how the processes of the human mind are related to matter? I don't know. Mm. Is Maybe it, not. Is, is it possible to have a... A, a model of the human mind which discusses them purely, discusses the psychological processes purely in terms of the processes and isn't concerned with the matter? Uh, probably. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's probably a given. At some point, it's so elementary that it's made up of matter that it's probably just a, a considered a given. That when they say the hippocampus or when they say that this person is depressed, it's implied and understood that we're talking about material things here. We're talking about a human being mm. with a mind that's made up of material that's affected by the hippocampus. I don't know if it's the hippocampus, by the way, that's actually doing that. I'm just using sure. that as sure. loose and fast examples. That's the only brain part I, I remember, hippocampus. Uh, the thing <laughs> that, that I want to get at is that if I ask you to define what that notebook is, you, unless you were trying to make a point about matter, you would never bring matter into the definition. If, so, okay, so ask me to define what this notebook is, right? It is of a particular length and width and, and depth. It has a particular amount of pages that are made from paper, which is made from wood mm. and it is used as a tool for writing things down. Mm. It is not the tool for writing things down. That would be a pen. Good. But it is the medium by which you Good. record the things that you write. Okay. Do you think that you could devise a scientific test to determine whether that notebook was a notebook? Yes. How would you do that? I would do a hypothesis and I would state something along the lines of, is it something that I can write in and does it record the things I write and keep it? Is mm. it made of paper? Is it of this length and this width, so on and so on. Okay. So and I could falsify all those things. Mm, the the endpoint of that conversation, there are scientific tests that you can do about that notebook, can tell you many things about that notebook specific to the context in which you do the scientific measurements, but there is no property of that notebook which can be scientifically scientifically tested as a notebook. Okay. The notebook is a notebook because you and I know that it's a notebook. No, it's I because that's that's how we define a notebook. Right. 
Right. I don't just know that. I didn't know that when I was a baby and but, I didn't know that until I learned what it is a notebook is. But you never, well, maybe with a notebook specifically you did, maybe somebody defined it for you, but for 99% of the things in our world in the 20 foot bubble, there is no definition. We didn't need a definition. We no, just absorbed how they're used in big, the context with which we use them. There's a big difference between there not being a definition and not needing a definition because you already know how to use it. It's like language. You don't need to know that you're speaking English and this is how English is written and this is how a subject and predicate. You don't need to know all that stuff to be able to speak it. But that doesn't mean that those definitions don't exist. Well, the definitions were drawn from the use. The use came first. There was no definition. So what? So the definition is just a tool that we use to help us understand what we already knew before. Okay. So what? So <laughs> the world that we exist in, the world of persons and notebooks and tables and bars and sure. anger, those things don't have scientific definitions. Yes, they absolutely do. We just said that. The language has definitions. You don't need to know them to speak it, but they do. it does have definitions. Okay, how about this? They don't... You can use... Well, you wouldn't use science to define a notebook. Let me ask you, before you go there, really quick, why are you making statements that are so clearly false? Why did you just say tables and chairs and notebooks and everything we have in our 22-foot bubble doesn't have a definition when it's so obviously... I said scientific definition. Yeah, which is so obviously clear that it does. Why are you doing that? That's weird. What What is it about a car that doesn't have a scientific well, I think definition you... or the road or another person? These all have scientific definitions. I think you, you missed what I said when I said that we understand that they don't have scientific definitions because we can't create a rational definition of that which can be processed by a perfectly rational agent, which is the computer. Just because AI doesn't understand what a notebook is doesn't mean we don't have a scientific de definition for it that's useful. Or that but we don't have a scientific definition for a notebook. Where have you ever heard a scientific definition of a notebook? I just gave you one. It's, it's, you just uh, made that up. Yeah, right? but it's still a, it's still what it is. This is paper, and I could scientifically verify that with chemical analysis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's made from wood. I could scientifically define what it's made of down to the last micron of you whatever. Could, but the thing that brings it together and makes it into a notebook... Well, that's a scientific definition of what that is, dude. I don't know why you're saying it's not. Why I'm you telling you that? that it's not. Why? Why are you saying that? It definitely is a scientific no. definition. It's not. No? What no. is it then? If I could tell you how microns thick this is, and that they're, let's say, 100 of them. I can't remember how many are in this. Maybe 80 or 100. Do you and think so that on. creates a specification for a notebook, which all notebooks follow? Uh, no, but it does, it does fall with... It doesn't have to have all the notebooks follow it. It does fall within the definition of a notebook, though. I don't understand what you just said. Not all notebooks have to fall within that definition, but okay. this does fall within the definition of a notebook. I don't know what that means. That means there could be a notebook with 120 pages. Right. Or there could be one that's 6 feet tall by right. 8 feet wide. And all humans would know, oh, that's a notebook. It's just an unusual notebook. That's yeah. the world that we live in. But just because AI doesn't know and we can't provide for whatever reason the right formula for AI to understand that this is a notebook does not mean that there's not a scientific definition for what this is. If there's a scientific definition for what it is, then why can't we formally specify it? That's what science does. There's a scientific definition well, for an atom. There's a difference between what there's science can definition formally for a star. specify and what AI can understand. There's a gap. Where else does that gap arise? I don't know, but you brought it up. Mm. There, there's clearly a gap between what AI understands and what scientific can what can be scientifically defined. I don't understand your point. What's your point? You were trying you were driving to something. We're getting bogged mm -hmm. down in particulars because you keep saying My things point that is don't that make any the sense. world that we exist in, the world of notebooks and tables and bars and persons. Sure. It's not a scientific world. 
In what way? I don't know what that question means. Okay, well, maybe it's, uh, I'll rephrase it. What is it then? Well, that's the question. We're still trying to figure that out, you, how you, we exist in the world that we exist in. Okay, you seriously have no idea what this is? You see, you seriously, you don't know? Fucking no well, Science doesn't know. No, 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 I'm asking you, okay? You said science can't do it. I'm saying, okay, so what does? And you said, I don't know. You literally don't know any of this. You have no idea where you are, what you're doing, what this stuff is, how it works. No, I do, but I'm not using science to do that. Okay, so when I said, so what is it, then what is it? You know what it is. Well, you're asking for a scientific answer no, to that question. I'm right? asking you what your answer is. You're, you're saying you're not a scientist. Oh, I can take it as given. Worldview. I can take it as given. I can take this world. I can take that the notebook exists. I can take that the table exists. I can take that the lamp exists. So you have no explanation, just it is. Well, what do you mean? It is because it is. I can explain why that lamp is what it is, is it, or why know. that notebook that's, is what it is? That's what I'm asking. You, you, you got to a place now where you're saying, or I thought you said, we have no explanation for this. And and then I'm saying, so what are you, what are, and you said, I said, so what is all this stuff? You're saying you don't know what any of this stuff is. And you said, well, I just take it as a given. Mm. So it, to me, that sounds like, well, it is because it is, or it is what it is. That's a notebook because it's a notebook. I think that's the right approach to understand how we exist in the world you don't Most see of the time. how that's circular. It's a notebook because yeah. it's a notebook. And then you don't see how depraved that is of, of detail. Yeah. I see that it's depraved of the detail that you want. No, any detail. It's a notebook because it's a notebook. How does that give you any indication of what it actually is or what it's used for or how valuable it is? Oh, well, I could tell you what it's used for, but I don't, uh, I don't think about it in scientific terms. If you ask me, what is that notebook? I don't think about what is the matter that it's made of? What's the atoms that it's made of? Things okay. like that. Right? To me, okay. Here's, I think we got Pater here. It sounds like you don't think scientifically. And you're saying that means a scientific worldview can't exist because I can't think that way or I don't think that way. And you invalidate my worldview when I clearly have stated in the multiple ways that I do think scientifically and use science to uh, illuminate my worldview. Mm. I'm saying that what you're doing is the same thing as what I'm doing, except that you confuse cause and effect. So you look at that notebook and you see that it exists. Mm -hmm. You know that it exists. You didn't do any scientific experiments. You take it as given, and then you attribute scientific properties to it. Okay. Well, let me let me push back on that a little bit. Sure. So, as something mundane like a notebook, I think it might be possible to to do what you're doing, and as a scientifically minded person, you take it as a given. To somebody who's completely ignorant of science, maybe uh, they take it slightly differently. But let's say I were to have a hallucination, or let's say I were to think that a being existed because I was communing with it in my head, or whatever. It appeared to me, right, in a dream. If I actually wanted to validate that it existed, I would need you. For things common like notebooks that are everywhere, everybody gets to validate them. We all see them. All you have to do is say, hey, is this a notebook? And I can go, yep, it's a notebook. Yeah, we don't have to think about it. Where we have to think about it is when we do anything else that's a little out of the ordinary. Now, if you tell me you're talking to demons right now, or that you see demons, or that you converse with an entity or whatever, to validate that that's true requires other people. Mm. Now, it's trivial with a notebook because I can trivially show it to you. And you can trivially, trivially take it and look at it and finger through it. And, oh yeah, it's paper and all this. Other, I know what paper is and all this shit. And we can get a complete analysis of what this is, what it's made of, who made it, where it came from, everything. All the scientific data you could ever want to prove that this is a notebook. No, that proves what's in the notebook and where it came from. But the thing that makes it a notebook is that you and I agree that it's a notebook. Uh, it, as as a as a as a product of language, we call it a notebook. But the thing that makes it what it is is the material it's made out of. That's what makes it what it is and the properties of 
of that material. So it's it's certainly if this was not made out of paper and not lightweight and not manufactured in whatever, Oklahoma or whatever, uh, it would not be a notebook. It would be something else. It might be this towel if it was made from completely different things in a completely different way for a completely different purpose. But but all the scientific data you need to prove that this is a notebook is available. But you don't need any scientific data to prove that that's a notebook. Yeah, but you don't have any scientific data for the, the apparitions in your mind. And you need some to prove that that's real. And you need somebody else to verify it. Mm. You need that proof. I think that's I think that's uh, part of what you're trying to say. I don't know if it's exactly what you're trying to say. But I think you're no, I, I, I think everything that I've tried to do so far is to illustrate where I feel the limits of the scientific worldview, where I have to acknowledge that the world which is impressing itself on me is not scientific in origin. I'm experiencing it. I take all these things as given, including other persons, right? Like, I don't have any evidence of the experiences that are going on in your head. You but take I, me as a given? You don't think that I can be verified as real? The I could verify that your body is real, but the thing that I think of as pull, the collection of views, motivations, experiences... Doesn't exist without my body. That's true. Doesn't exist, period, without me. They're all one and the same. Well, that's an assertion I don't follow. You said well, it doesn't show me, exist without my body. Show, show me a show me a person that exists without a body. That's not what I said. I said show me that which is Paul existing without this material mm, body. Perfect, perfect. But or I should say, and yet it is that pole with which I'm interested in communing, not with your physical body. Show me where that pole exists outside of the body. It is my body. That's true. Okay, so you just undermined your point. No. The pole with which I'm interested, in other words, Paul's body could be here, but Paul could not be here, right? Mm. Paul could be sleeping, Paul could be dead. Paul's still here if Paul's sleeping. If Paul's dead, then there's, I can't commune there is with Paul no more if Paul's Paul. sleeping. If Paul's dead, there's no more Paul. But your body is still here. Uh, not for very long. It's decaying. Mm -hmm. But your body is still here. Right? Uh, it not, will decay. Not, not really. That's a very elementary way to look at it. But okay. I mean, the material that made up your body, which is no longer... Right. Right. But it's not going to be there for very long. It's all going to break down. It's not really here. It's just not quite dissolved yet. It will be here, but in a different form. Uh, right? Yeah. That doesn't help your point, though. I mean, this table is a, could potentially be made up of the exact same thing I am. Mm -hmm. Doesn't. Where's this, where's this Paul that exists outside of my body? There is no Paul that exists outside of your body. Okay. But it's that Paul which animates your body that I'm interested in interacting with. Okay. Why are you separating it? There I'm is no illustrating Paul that there is that a... which animates my body. I am my body. My body is me. Mm. I am Paul. My body is Paul. Paul is my body. It's all this, It's all the same stuff. Why are you trying to separate those things? You because there's... can't because you, you understand that you can't. Because... But why are you doing it... Because there's something or, which or is happening with, with Paul, which is not happening with that notebook. And when well, Paul I'm is no alive, longer... Right? The notebook's not. That's right. So what? So alive points to a process of animation that gives you a personhood with which I can commune. Yeah. Well, how does this relate to your worldview? You're not saying anything. What, what do you mean? What, what, where's the point here? You're, so now this is a... The point is that I understand that that person is there, that there is a collection of, of experiences and views and things which are part of what I consider pull, which I have no evidence for and could not perform any scientific test for. What do you mean you don't have any evidence for it? There you go again talking about not... <laughs> what are you talking about, dude? You you have evidence. You're looking at me. Mm -hmm. I don't have any evidence of the experiences that you're having. What? Dude, okay, earlier, we were having a very, very nice and tender moment. We were talking about how we had not yeah, I made believed you. families... 
and we wanted to. Or in my case, I didn't want to, but I wanted some element of that, right? Companionship. I believe you. It didn't you. happen. Right. That's you experiencing th- this thing you're calling Paul that's separate somehow from my body. That's evidence of But all I don't have that. evidence that you actually experienced any of that. So what? You could have been making all that up. So what? But that is the person that I was communing with. Well, I am a, maybe I'm the kind of person that makes up bullshit, but you're still, that now you have evidence of that potentially. You, you, I agree. You have to worry about that, but that's, I can tell you that that's not what happened, but that doesn't mean that there's something spooky going on or something unscientific or something other than what is verifiable mm. and material and evidential in the world. How does that mean? The that- thing that's most important to me about you mm-hmm. is that you are a collection of experiences which, okay. which are similar to the same kinds of experiences that I'm having. Okay. And yet that is the very thing of which I could not ever have any evidence. Of course you have evidence. I told you about my experiences. Right. That's evidence. But that's not me verifying that you actually had those experiences. No, you're not verifying it. So what? That's still evidence. That's part of the scientific process. But that's still evidence. Yeah, but you're using part of it and not the whole thing. So what? Evidence is so part of it. So it's not science. It? Evidence is part of the scientific process, right? Yes, but it's not the entirety so of the scientific process. So what if it's not process. science? Why do you have, why are you trying to make Hold everything on. Hold on. What did you just say? ridiculous scientific, like it has to be 100% the scientific method. So Paul's experience, I have to now verify them and then peer review them with all these other people and then publish them in a fucking journal. Why do you think that that's the only way, first of all, that science is done? Why do you think that's the only way that you can have a scientific worldview if you go through all those steps? Why is this, why is this such that's, a weird, that's what a scientific so worldview is to me. Like if I, if I can't do science this to validate so how my actions make sense in the world. Now look, I, I understand that this is infuriating, you, but you, you don't understand because you keep doing the same mistake. Yeah. I'm telling you what my scientific worldview is mm. and you're flat out denying it. And you're saying it doesn't exist. And no, 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 no. What you're saying is, is that is not what I call a scientific worldview. That's right. And I'm saying, take on board what I'm telling you my scientific worldview is as a possible potential scientific worldview. Okay. You don't have to invalidate it because you, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, don't have any reason to. I'm not giving you any reason to But to I'm not here to take on, I'm not here to take on your worldview, Paul. I'm not saying you do it for the rest of your life. I'm no, saying no, no. you are completely here. incapable of empathizing with my worldview at all. You've, you've shown that on multiple occasions now. You would rather deny it and reject it no, as no. opposed to trying to understand it, trying to bring it on and, and recognizing, oh, oh, okay, so that's what a scientific worldview is. You will not give any of that. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. I suspect you think I'm doing the same thing, that you feel the same way about how I view your worldview. The major difference between my that my position, my situation in this art conversation and your situation is, is I'm not making any claims that can't be verified. I You don't have to take any of what I say on faith. That's the difference. I'm mm. sorry. That's why I'm infuriated. Please continue. I don't mean to. I had to vent that out. So I would like to hear you tell me what it is that I would say such that you would think that I had accepted that your scientific worldview was a worldview. Is that what you would like to hear? That I accept that you have a scientific worldview? Um, I don't, I don't really know how to answer that. Mm. I, I, I can't tell you how to think. Um, and I obviously I can't. Well, and you've been trying for like eight hours now. Tell 
you how you f- how to feel. All I can do is appeal to evidence and reason and logic uh, and hope that you are able to take it on board. But the fact that you're not and you seem to be so bright in uh, so many other ways is is what's frustrating. And then the fact that I, I feel like you have to deny me to some degree what you're doing uh, in order to maintain your worldview. And I don't have to do that. I don't have to deny you to maintain my worldview. Hmm. And that, I think, puts me at an adv- advantage position. And I think that makes you uncomfortable. And I think that's where we get a lot of our animosity. Hmm. And I, I just want you to understand that even when we get heated during these discussions, I still really enjoy this. And I still really like you. I know it gets uh, upsetting, but I just wanted to b- be clear about that. From my perspective, how I would classify, and I know that I'm like, the only reason that I'm sticking on this point, like if we were a brute theology, right? Yeah. I'd be like, Paul would say, oh, my scientific worldview is such and such. And I would say, okay, yeah, great. Thank you for Bruce, sharing, right? Yeah, Bruce theology isn't a place to push back. It's a place to accept everything you hear without question. I learned that the first time I went there. Well, that's only because you're so hostile. No, Plenty no, of people no, no, push no. back on other people and have lots of There's a lot of people saying discussions. you have your own truth and all that. Yes, there are people that break but off we, and have discussions, but there's plenty of people that say, we do not criticize people's faith here. This is about sharing. Everybody has their own truth. That is not what we're up to in this conversation. And I readily admit that okay. and so agree then, that we shouldn't be doing that. Okay. So then you should understand why I won't allow you to put your words in my mouth. No, I understand I that don't, you won't. I don't think the things that you're asking me to think. And when you think that you've demonstrated them, I'm not convinced that you've demonstrated them. Right. So no, it would be dishonest for me. And I just don't think you have any, any reason. You, well, you haven't been able so to bring on. up any point. I don't think that's true. I think that what is happen is happen, has happened, <laughs> is happening, and will continue to happen is that we see the same set of facts and draw radically different conclusions about which of those facts or which of those ways of interacting with the world should be focused on and magnified. So I'll give you an example. We started our first conversation with a quote from one of my emails that said, I don't believe that evidence, reason, and logic are capable of describing all of reality. Right. And in this conversation, I'm trying to make the point that a worldview, a way in which we interact with the 20-foot bubble, which includes all of our conceptual ideas, could include the the idea of the Earth as a round globe moving in an orbit around the sun, could include the idea of the Milky Way, et cetera, et cetera, right? Sure. Or can zoom all the way down and include the bacteria, the model of viral infection, things like that. All of that is included in our worldview, but we, I want to see that we do many, many things which for which we take both the thing, the ontology, the thing which exists, this person, Paul, that I'm interacting with, sure. and all of the objects in the world, the table, the notebook, et cetera, et cetera, we, in, we interact with those things in ways that not only make sense to us, but gives our lives deep meaning. Well, we take and, it for granted, is what you're saying. We don't need to inspect the notebook. We yes, yes. say it as a notebook. Yes. And that's precisely what I'm getting at when I say that, like, we don't, I, I'm not arguing with you, uh, I'm arguing with you definitionally about whether a scientific worldview is possible. Because I hear you say the exact same thing which I am trying to do, which is to take on as much science as I can that's helpful to me in my life. But I want to situate that in something which is larger than all of that put together. I can take any particular thing and go find out scientific data about it, and that could be helpful, or it might be harmful. 
right? If I go find some wrong information about nutrition, et cetera, et cetera. But let's assume that it's all helpful. Even given that, I still don't see that everything which we interact with in our world that makes sense to us and that gives our life meaning, especially the intangible elements of relationship from where we derive most of our meaning, as far as I'm concerned, that those don't, they aren't scientific in origin and we don't deal with them scientifically. Okay. Now you're saying we do little experiments, but that doesn't, I don't buy that. Let I don't just, buy that as a scientific, okay, that's as fine. part of a scientific worldview. That's fine. And all I would say to that is that if you want to know more about those things, if you want to have a deeper understanding of those relationships and those people, the things that are most important to you, you better get some science. I'm not going to take for granted you and my dogs and the people and the things and the relationships that are the most important to me like I do this notebook. If I want to know more about it and I want to connect with it in a more human level mm. and I really want to maximize the benefit of those relationships, I'm going to look to science to, to get me that information. Mm. I think we clearly would fundamentally disagree about that. Perhaps we can bring that up in our next conversation. You would disagree with that? Yes. Yes, absolutely. If I may ask, where would you look to get deeper you understanding really need- <laughs> of those people? Just give me like a two or three word answer. My religion. Okay. Um, <laughs> Christianity. Okay. Can I ask you a couple, just yes. we'll do questions. Let's go for I it. just want to get just a couple. Okay. okay. So do you believe in the Genesis account of creation? Yes. Okay. So by uh, that account, do you believe in the exact order of it? Do you believe in, do you, do you, do you believe in the order that... Are you was, asking me, do I believe that as if it was written as a science textbook? No, no. I'm asking you, do you believe it? So do you believe that in the beginning, the first thing that happened was uh, earth and the void? Earth and the void. That's what God created first was uh, the earth and the and the void. And oh, then he uh, said, and then let there be light. And then there was light. In the beginning, God do you was think that was the face the, of the water. Are you asking me, is that a scientific description of... No, I'm asking you, is that that what you believe the order is of creation? Your answer is steering me into a way of talking about the Genesis story that I don't have any interest. You're asking me, do I believe it in the same way that you would believe it if you believed it? No, I'm asking the way you believe it. Do you believe that? What do you mean by the word believe? Do you think it's true? Yes. Okay. And do you think it's true in the order that it's written in in Genesis? That's a scientific question. Okay. I'll say that I believe the Genesis story. I thought it was a religious question. I'm asking about Genesis. You're asking, asking about, about order. science. You're asking about like a procedural... Is well, it's this in a order, right? They order it in the book. I have it right here. All words are in order. Okay. So the science or the creation account of Genesis, okay? A beginning, a primitive earth and darkness and unshrouded and heavy gases and water, then light and expanse or atmosphere, so that's, on and so on. That's you, not that's not the book of Genesis. That sounds like a summary of yeah, what the story is saying. It is, yeah. Okay. It's a point into, by point. Into of scientific the, terms. Of the, okay. No, it's not. It uses it's exactly the same wording as Genesis uses. Keep going. So do you believe that that was the order that's that That's not the exact wording that Genesis uses. Oh, that's a different question. I don't believe that the Genesis story is an account of how the material world came into being. Then, okay, what do you believe about the Genesis story? So you believe in creation, but not the way that it was described in Genesis. It's a creation story. Okay. Do you want me to tell you about creation stories? No, I'm just saying, so you believe that it's a creation story, but you don't think it's accurate. I don't think that it's a scientific description of how the material world was created. Do you understand the difference between what you're saying and what I'm saying? I think that it's the best way to tell the story. Okay. Um... 
So is it accurate? By what standard are you measuring the accuracy? What is your, your standard? What is your ontology, your epistemology, your and standard. your methodology? Whatever your standard is. But if is. you don't know what my standard is, then what's the point of answering that question, Paul? I'm asking you. No, you didn't I'm ask me I'm trying to find you, out. You asked a yes or no question. If you want to talk about creation stories, I can tell you about creation stories, but I don't see that this line of questioning is going anywhere interesting. Okay. Do I believe that the story You're is really accurate? You're acting weird now, dude, okay? This is really not that hard. I said... I believe that that's the best way to tell the story. Really cryptic what you're doing and it seems to, it's coming across as being really dishonest. I don't think you're a dishonest person, but it sounds to me like you're getting defensive. I'm asking you very simple, straightforward questions. But you believe in Genesis, you believe in creation. Mm -hmm. You think it's the best way to tell the story. That's right. Do you think it's accurate? Well, that's a question that's in your epistemology and ontology. I don't accept those epistemologies and ontologies. I'm talking about in your epistemology and ontology. Is it accurate? Why are you asking me questions which because I'm trying to understand your worldview which you don't understand the words to if you don't understand my epistemology and ontology then what's the point of asking the question Paul just to get words to come out of my mouth that's dishonest that's bad faith engagement we'll move on okay I'm not not being dishonest at all it's a very straightforward honest question do you believe it's accurate yes Uh or no but we'll move on Um, do you believe that entire civilization can arise from two people um you're you're asking questions do you mean like can two people breed and their children genetically produce an entire civilization can two people produce an entire civilization such as you just repeated the question i asked you a follow up question yes you didn't answer it yes so genetically well, no, probably no, just b- based on what however lee you want to describe it do you believe two people uh, can create an entire civilization it doesn't have to be genetically i'm not you keep trying to frame this in scientific terms oh, i'm not okay. framing it into this right. is sure this two is, people can create a civilization okay Romulus and Remus did it. Okay. Okay. Um, do, do you think that inbreeding would have any... Uh... Oh, so it is a genetic question. Surprise, surprise. No, no, no. Next. The, do, do, you, do you have any problem with inbreeding in this? That the first question was not a genetic question. Now I'm asking. Okay. Does, does inbreeding Next question. trouble you at all in uh, this? Of course. So two people in can this? or cannot? What is in this? In this question. Okay. Inbreeding is not a good idea. Why don't you just answer all of your own questions? What do I need to be here for, Paul? Uh, because do you I think that you're going to get what at what think? I believe by asking me these questions? Wouldn't it be more you're efficient a, to ask me what I believe than to tell I'm me what I believe in a series of believe. questions? I'm no, asking no. you what you believe. What you be- what do you believe is a question. A series of leading questions based on a misinterpretation of creation stories Excuse is me, not interesting This is not a misinterpretation. There were two people in the beginning, Adam and Eve, mm-hmm. and they gave rise to all of mankind. Do you think that that's a scientific account of what Adam and Eve are about? Do you think that that was written by scientists to convey scientific information? No. Okay. So I'm asking you, do you believe two people can... can But that's your interpretation of that story. I'm not interested in that, Paul. It's so boring. Okay. Do you believe that we must mutilate our genitals in order to be right with God, such as in uh, is prescribed in Genesis? Next. Next. Next question. So you this won't, is boring, Paul. You won't this answer so boring. questions about circumcision. <laughs> do you think circumcision is something we that's, must do that's to not be what right you said. with God? You said, do you believe that we should mutilate our genitals? Okay, well, now I'm calling it circumcision. Okay. Does it make you more comfortable? Do you understand why this is boring for me? This is, not no. a, this is not a question about what I believe. Yes, it is, dude. Dude, listen. Okay, look. Stop. Stop. These are very simple questions based on very simple interpretations. Oh, when was the last time you raped a child? Can I please child? answer my question? Can I please ask my question? And was it yesterday or the day before? Uh, excuse me, but I didn't ask you any questions such as that. Okay. I never said you... You're leading questions with answers. No, I didn't. Yes or no. 
right? You this want is me not to a explain... leading question. It's okay. asking you yes no, or no, does frame. mutilation That's or right. our That's genitals right. make us right with yes God? Yes or no. You want me to, to answer that question as if that has something to do with my belief system. I'm wondering if it does. Here's... Why not just ask me that? I just did. No, you yes. didn't say, does your belief in God hinge on circumcision? Okay, does your belief in God hinge on no. circumcision? Do no, you it think does not. that we have to be circumcised in order to be saved? No. Do you believe that when God told us in Genesis seventeen, ten through twelve that we need to circumcise our children, that we do now because God said so? Well, you should have read the New Testament where it's explained that that's not necessary. The New Testament explains that circumcision yes. is not yes. necessary. Yes. Interesting. Do you believe that we must wait, wait do you believe that snakes and donkeys can talk or that it's possible that they could talk? No. No. Okay. Do you mean like speak with English language? Well, any language, really, but okay. talking to humans well, in a language, I well, guess, that they would understand. Okay, keep going. Um, do you believe that if you breed animals while they look at vertical lines, such as trees or sticks, that their offspring will be born with vertical stripes? <laughs> no, I don't believe that, Paul. Okay. Does did these stories in the Bible that describe these things as happening? What do you what do you do with them? Like, what is it? What is, for instance, what does that mean to you when a donkey talks to a man in the Bible? I understand them in context. What is it in context? Then, what does Would you it like me explain the entire Bible to you right now? No, just the donkey part. Like, okay. what context? But you can't understand that outside of the context of the entire Bible and the entire worldview of the people who wrote the Bible. So. What what is the context where a donkey Would you like me talks? to explain the entire Bible to you right now? Dude, you're being really weird. I don't know why you're being so weird. This is this is just like, look, okay, if somebody says they're a Christian and then you read their Christian book and that's what it says in their book and you're trying to understand... you see anyone talking to donkeys? you see any I, Christians trying to talk to donkeys? Can I finish, please? Sure. And you read the book and you see what's in the book, mm -hmm. right? And you see the way God behaves and you see the way the people behave because God told them to and you see the things that they said happen, like donkeys talking talking and, and snakes talking and so on, mm -hmm. and people cutting off the tips of their penises, you are justified in assuming that the person that says they're a Christian and follows this book believes those things. And I'm wondering if you believe these things. I don't know if you do. I'm not judging you if you do or don't. I'm just curious. Is this part of your worldview where it's possible where a donkey could talk? That's all I'm asking you. Do you think that the people who wrote those stories spent a lot of time talking to donkeys and snakes? I Do you think that 3,500 years ago, people were... So I doubt it, but okay. I don't really know okay. what they spent their time doing. Well, they wrote the stories down. We know that, right? Uh, but we can understand yes. that they were people very similar to us. Pretty close. And that they could interact with and do science with their senses in the world. They had not. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> were you about to counteract your own point there? No, I, I was okay. just saying they didn't invent science until right, much later. Right. But, but they were ahead. using their senses and doing little experiments in the world. Sure. They probably didn't encounter any talking snakes, right? So that right there should be sufficient for you to say, perhaps there's something else going on here. Like what? Yeah, exactly. That's a good starting question. Well, like what though? What 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 could be going on instead of what it says in the Bible mm. or whatever? What what do you think no, is that's, happening? That's the right question. I'm not going to explain the whole Bible to you right now. I'm not asking you to. It just when people thought they were talking to snakes and donkeys or thought... So or, you do think that they thought that? Well, 
it says that the donkey talked to them. Yeah. It actually says God made the donkey talk There's lots of stories to him. in which people talk to animals, right? Well, this to- this one, the do- donkey talks to a person because God yes, made it talk to a person. there's lots of stories in which animals talk to people. I can turn on a Toy Story movie and see little dolls walking around and talking. Do you think I'm confused about whether or not that's real? No, I, I'm just curious if you believe that. It's, what do you mean is, by believe? I went to a movie and I saw... If you think it's true. I saw Buzz Armstrong. His lips were moving. But Words this came isn't... Out. But the Bible isn't Buzz Armstrong. I mean, the, it's this stories. Is, yeah, they are. In my view, they are just stories. But in your view, they're a basis for a worldview. I don't know what just stories means. It means they're should, not true. Mm, I see. But in your in your position, they're a basis for a worldview. Mm. So you're basing your worldview on this, and so that's why I'm curious. Are you basing your worldview on this, or is there another? You verse? just told me that I am, so I must be. Right? No. It, it's a, it's what I said was is it's uh, it's appropriate for me to assume that when all if all you say is I'm a Christian for instance uh, and I've read the the documentation I've read the books and and I read these things in the books I then have to ask you if I if I want to understand what your real worldview is mm. I have to I have to parse out what it is that you actually believe so for instance I, before this I did not know. Uh, whether you thought the Genesis account of creation was correct. And after, I do know that you do believe in creation and that Genesis is one version of a story of creation and it's the best one. Uh, but you will not answer whether or not you think it's accurate. So we won't go back there. But I'm just saying, I know know that about you. Okay. What does that tell you? Worldview. What does that tell you about my worldview? It tells me that you think that creation happened. And so? And that God did it, probably. And so? And that you think that that's the best account of that story. Yes, you just repeated all the same things you said before. What does that tell you about me? What does that tell me about you? Um, That based on what you answered and the way that you answered it, and I'm going to reach a little bit here, but that you are a creationist, um, that you believe in God creating things. We did talk about evolution in the past. I don't know to what degree you believe it. Uh, I know that you said that you do believe it. Uh, but I don't know how it works with creation. I haven't gotten to that part yet. Okay. But if you believe in a creation story, then your belief in evolution is suspect, or there's some sus- there's something weird going on there. The two are mutually so you're in- incompatible. With the arrangement of beliefs inside my head. I'm concerned with your ability to rationally uh, engage using your worldview. Mm. If a worldview is to be useful, I would suspect that it would have to be as accurate as possible and would interact with reality as as accurately, sorry to use the word multiple times, but as accurately as possible. So your understanding of reality must be as accurate as is possible and your understanding of how to interact with it. Mm. Um, And if you think that God created everything and you're willing to believe that without evidence, that tells me something about the way your mind works and how your worldview is is sort of shaded in the different sort of spices that are mixed in to use the analogy I used before. And then that makes you suspect of my cognitive rationalization processes? Uh, not necessarily. It would depend on the topic. I think some people have the ability to compartmentalize, and then I think other people don't. It, what it does do is it it, it, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if you had other beliefs that might not be as logically sound or as, as evidentially supported. Mm. I keep saying evidentially. I think that's the right word there. I think in the previous case, you used the word evidently correct also. Yeah, I think correctly. I misspoke before. Okay, so may I? Um, so I take it you don't think that you can breed goats in front of sticks and they'll have stripes. That's correct. Okay. Do you believe that God is just? 
Yes. Do you believe God is merciful? Yes. Do you believe God is moral? Yes. Do you recognize that just and mercy are contradictory, that you can't be just and merciful? The story of the New Testament is that actually perfect justice is perfect mercy. That's what Christ came to reveal to us. And you, okay. So we use the word restorative so you justice. Throw out justice and you just be merciful. No. So if somebody rapes somebody, you just give All them right, mercy. Pause. I think I'm done. That's so boring. You want to call this one? You, you really don't see how those are contrary, contradictory? I just answered your question and then you tried to put words in my mouth again. No, I'm asking. The raping. You. No, I'm asking. No, you, you said so you think how that. How can those things. So you think that. Okay, well, you, you how can those that things. that phrase from your repertoire, Paul. I'll do it's that. It's so boring. I'll do that. <laughs> okay. How is it possible that just. Do you understand what restorative justice is? Justify and mercy can be the same thing. Do you understand what restorative justice is? I don't know. Why don't you tell me what okay. it is? Restorative justice is a model by which people are punished for, or I should say, there are consequences for your actions, but the goal is not to distribute an equal pain from the crime that was committed back onto the perpetrator. It is to rehabilitate and transform the perpetrator into someone who can come back into society. Now, that's not a Christian idea, or I should say, it is a Christian idea, but the name restorative justice comes from, you could just Google it and read about it. So if In our a- country, we use a punitive, retributive justice model, right? Where when you commit a crime, then you go to jail and lose X amount of your life as punishment for doing that crime. And then without any effort to help you grow into the kind of person who might not commit that crime again, you're just released back into the world and you're pretty likely to, uh, what's the word? Re, well, anyway, recommit the crime, go back to jail again. Okay. Okay. So the, but the, that's not mercy then. The biblical being model. punished. Yes. Right. The biblical model is that still contrary. we had, we had the idea in the Old Testament that punishment for sins is the correct, uh, is the correct response. Yeah. The, in the New Testament, Christ comes to show us that actually the punishment for any sin, which is to say to be anything less than perfect, the, that's sinful the, to be anything less than perfect. That is the definition of sin. Okay. To sin is to miss the mark, right? You know, You're trying to do something and being you... Being perfect is impossible? It is impossible. So it... Okay. So there's a standard that it's impossible for you to meet that's set before you by God. You could say it that way, but you could also say that... The possibility of infinite growth and transformation lies ahead of you. Okay. Okay, so there was the third and final discussion. If you were paying attention, uh, we were both, at times, obviously frustrated, um, at other times, very emotionally available. Uh, A couple things to think about as you're sort of reviewing this in your mind. Nathan did a great job in this interview of asking questions and then listening. And he wasn't doing as good of a job of that in the other two interviews, but this interview interview, he actually did sit down and take in some of the answers that I was giving him. Now, I think part of that was due to my frustration. Uh, If you also notice, he continually denies my worldview without adding any justification for that denial. He would just say things like, well, that's not science or that's not scientific. He would also try to invalidate my worldview by setting up these bizarre and unrealistic standards that a scientific worldview has to meet in order to be, I guess, valid. But he didn't even like that word, valid or invalid. So in some sense, he was just really argumentative, and it seemed needlessly so. In another, he seemed quite open to my answers to different questions and so on, uh, but was unable to take any 
any of that on board as what he would, you know, consider a legitimate worldview. I'm not going to use the word valid because he doesn't like that word. Now, obviously, he would prefer that I take on his worldview or that I give some legitimacy to his worldview. One of the impossible standards that he had set up for a scientific worldview is that the person that holds the scientific worldview must have a full understanding of every single fact that science is aware of and then able to utilize that fact in order to construct what he's considering an actual worldview. Now, notice also that there is no sense of that at all in his Christian worldview. Now, he didn't get into his Christian worldview very much, and he was actually very cautious, if you hear at the end of the conversation, and just in general, to talk about Christianity. He hedged it very carefully the first couple of, uh, the first two interviews, and only finally broke down at some point to say, I don't see how else I can speak about this other than to talk about it in a Christian, from a Christian's perspective. And I think that's very telling. I think that he was very much trying to defend himself. He was defensive about his own worldview, probably because of how fickle and feeble it is to any kind of pushback. Now, you hear me actually getting into it with him at the very end of this interview and requesting certain clarifications on what it is he believes and why. And I explain very eloquently, I think, that, of course, if you're a Christian and you say the Bible is the word of God, then I have every reason to believe you believe all the things that are in that book. Now, is that true? And may I ask you, what is true? And he got really, really defensive. So, and so much so that I was starting to get really uncomfortable. He was acting in such a strange way that I felt the need to actually point it out to him and and bring it to his attention. I wasn't sure that he was totally aware of it, but also I was starting to fear him a little bit. He was acting in such a way that I wasn't sure what he was going to do. And it's not out of the realm of possibility that he could have had a psychotic episode of some sort based on this prodding from me. Uh, It certainly wouldn't be the first time a fundamentalist or a zealot uh, went into a psychotic episode based on, you know, basic questioning and prodding. So I was actually a little bit fearful. So it seems clear to me that uh, if you take into account what Nathan was saying at the end of this episode, and you take into account all the things that he was trying to do and say at the beginning of this episode and the other two interviews, that he really was under the impression that if he could undermine a scientific worldview to such a degree that it would convince me, then then that would somehow prop up his worldview, even though he explicitly states at the very beginning of our interviews, that that's not what he's going to try to do, or that's not a valid way to move forward. Now, episode four of this season two of Ear Seduction, I did a very basic summary of what Nathan was trying to say. I steel man his argument, and then I give my commentary on it. And I I like it because it gives a summary of these three episodes, uh, and it gives you something to listen to if you wanted to refer back to it without having to listen to the entirety of all three episodes. Which is quite, which are all quite long. But in season three, I think what I'm going to do now that I've listened to this episode, now this is the episode that really spurred this on in me, I'm going to take apart his this conversation piece by piece. And I'm going to steel man Nathan point for point. And I'm going to discuss exactly what fallacies he's engaged in and give him credit where credit is due. And I'm going to point out where I could have done much, much better, where maybe I wasn't as charitable to him as I could have been, or point out the mistakes that I myself made. 
Now, in doing this, I'm also obviously going to point out all the mistakes that Nathan made, but or I'm not going to really hold him up to the same standard that I'm going to hold myself up to. In other words, if I say something mean, I'm going to apologize for it. If he says something mean, I'm just going to point out that he said something mean. I'm not going to I'm not going to rake him over the coals, in other words. And honestly, having dealt with uh, fundamentalist Christians in the past, and then also having followed a lot of their content on YouTube and podcasts and so on, it's very common for a fundamentalist to insult people. That's part of what it is to be a fundamentalist. You have to somehow try to drag down your opponent into your world, into your realm. And so, uh, and I love the word Nathan uses that his ideas are are kind of quaint or his worldview is kind of quaint. In order for him to rip me from my perch and throw me down into this quaint, barbaric, Bronze Age worldview, he's going to have to, you know, knock me down a few pegs. And that's very, very common. So I kind of expected that. Now, lastly, what I want to tell you is that I'm going to also publish some of the correspondence that Nathan had between he and I. I'm going to summarize it. I'm not going to read it word for word, but I'm talking about emails and text messages and so on. It seemed obvious to me that Nathan was very intent on being as rude as possible to me, especially in the offline conversations. And I wanted to show that to some of you so that you can understand exactly where he's coming from and maybe why he behaves this way. One thing I can say with confidence is, again, Christians are required to make you feel stupid or try to stupefy you or try to make you feel like you're less than them because their position is so out of whack with what we know to be true in the modern world. They have to somehow get under your skin. They have to somehow push you down. And uh, Nathan was no exception. Now, I want to say something in closing here, and it's going to hopefully reveal why I'm so direct about the way Nathan is or the way other people are on this show. Maybe the way that I've uh, described the Midwest misanthrope or the way that I've described other guests. Um, I do it because I see the evidence to support what I'm saying. I don't do it to be rude to them. I don't do it to be mean to them. When I point something out about somebody that's been on the show, either to their face or in the, in hindsight, like these like these um, final thoughts, or in the breakdown uh, conversation I had with uh, my ex friend, uh, the gay rights conversation I had in season one. When I do these things, I do it because I'm trying to expose this person to themselves. I'm not saying it to be rude or mean or inconsiderate. There are actual issues that some people have, or there are actual problems that they demonstrate during the course of a conversation. And telling them about that, bringing that up as a problem, either a fallacy or whatever, is, I feel, my duty. Now, that doesn't always go over very well. And it hasn't always gone over very well in the past with other people. I've had a multitude of conversations where, for instance, I've brought up what I think is happening. I'll I'll give you just a recent example. I had a very brief conversation with somebody that I'm friends with. And I mentioned to this person that I didn't think he he was being very friendly to me. Um, I said that I, I wasn't really getting much from the friendship currently, and I wasn't really seeing any way, I wasn't really seeing anything that he was doing to re- resolve or correct it. 
Now, that's what was happening in the situation that we were in. I can go through some of the evidence, but I'm just going to summarize here because I'm trying to be respectful of your time, the listener. But me telling him that was not an attack on his character. It was simply what I believed to be happening. And what did he do with that information? Well, unfortunately, he didn't take it as an adult and work with it and empathize with it and try to encourage me or he didn't empathize with it at all. And he certainly didn't try to reassure me that that's not what was happening. Instead, he threw it back at me in a rather childish way and said, oh, that's all in your head. This kind of interaction is something I'm trying to avoid with people, but it's very difficult when you're working with somebody or you're conversing with somebody and you try to point out the thing that you see or the evidence that supports that they're incorrect, or in this case, this this little anecdote that I just gave you, just the way that this person's behaving is making me feel a certain way. Well, as a listener of the show, I'm encouraging you in some sense to behave as an adult in society and to bring up these things because I believe it's the adult thing to do. But as somebody that uh, cares for you, I want you to understand that there are going to be a lot of people in your life that if you bring up something directly and straightforwardly to them, they are not going to respond in a positive way. And that's exactly what ended up happening with Nathan and I. Because of the way that I treated Nathan on this show, even though I did so out of a place of respect and a place of camaraderie, he took it as insulting or he took it as we didn't get very far. I can't remember the exact words he used, but I'm going to go through his communication with me to find it and I'll publish it. But he didn't, he didn't see that this was supposed to be a learning, growth, and development session for the two of us. And that's such a shame because if you listen to this episode, you're going to hear a good, I, I think it was at least 20 minutes of us connecting on a real level. It's when I was talking to him about not having a wife and children and how I, you know, how my life has worked out. And he also hasn't had a wife or children and how his life has worked out. And so we had this wonderful bond in common and I felt really emotionally connected to him at that moment. Now, of course, it's there was some turbulence later on in our in our conversation and there was top, you know, turbulence in the first two interviews and so on. But we were doing this as adults, as adults that wanted to have this conversation. And where did it end up? Well, it ended up with Nathan essentially saying that he didn't want to be my friend anymore. So his emotional development is clearly not at the level of an adult who can take criticism, who can have these kinds of conversations and grow from them. It's really unfortunate because I thought that perhaps Nathan would become more of a regular on the show. He certainly doesn't have any problem talking, <laughs> which is usually helpful during a podcast. Now, as a final thought, I just want to say that uh, I do very much appreciate the work and effort that Nathan put into these three interviews. I grew from it very much and I tried to maintain a friendship with Nathan thereafter. I invited him on to more shows. I invited him to further discussions. Uh, but again, he didn't accept. And honestly, I'm going to review these episodes again. And as I said, I'm going to break them down. And I'm really going to try to do a retrospective in season three about how I could have done things better. But the thing that bothers me about his decision not to do the show and to not be my friend anymore is essentially that we set this whole thing up and had multiple discussions before we actually shot this podcast so that we would both 
fully understand exactly what we were doing and exactly how we would be treated. I went to great lengths to let him know that I was not going to be like his buddies over at Brew Theology that don't push back and aren't interested in the God conversation. They're presuppositionalists. They think God exists and then they want to start talking about things. So to them, and it was interesting that Nathan used the word boring at the end of this interview, because when I approached the guy that does brew theology and asked him if he'd like to be on the show, he said that the content, the subject matter was boring. God exists. Now what? And essentially he said, everybody has their own truth. Now, I believe that I have his response to my request. And so I'm probably going to publish that too, to give you more detail about the kind of world that Nathan lives in and the kind of people that he surrounds himself with. I can imagine that if all I ever did was talk to people at Brew Theology who just allowed me to pontificate and meander through pointless words and tr- and half points and, and just logical fallacy after logical fallacy, if I was in that group and all they ever did was affirm me and say, oh yeah, of course, yes, you have your own truth, uh, mm. How interesting, fascinating. And then they go off on their own tirade about nothing. They're essentially standing around trying to decide how many angels fit on the head of a pin. It's that baseless. It's that devoid and and defunct of evidence and reason and critical thought. I can imagine that if that's the only place that I found myself in, that coming and talking to somebody like me would be rather abrupt. But again, I prepped him with every effort, every email, every time to try to get him to understand that we were going to have a back and forth conversation and that I did not agree with him and was not going to be afraid to tell him. So... Where does that leave us? Well, again, I'm really happy that he was on the show. I'm really grateful that he did the show. I wish we had gone further. I wish he had been more uh, emotionally uh, mature to be able to come on the show and actually have an emotionally mature conversation about his beliefs, because that's where I wanted to go in the next interview. Uh, Because if he thinks it's difficult to debunk my scientific worldview, which clearly it was, I mean, the whole first interview, he tried to make points that he then had to come on the second time and try to do again. And then the third time he had to try to do it again. So he clearly can't. He's clearly incapable of debunking my scientific worldview, especially after I was able to demonstrate its validity to him. But if he thinks that's hard, he should see how easy it is for me to debunk his worldview, which unfortunately he didn't even have the emotional maturity to get into with me. He didn't even have the ability intellectually. He doesn't have the honesty. And again, he doesn't have the maturity to have this conversation. It's really too bad. Thank you so much for listening to Ear Seduction. Goodbye for now. Ah!